This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Khabib versus Ferguson, take five. Jones versus Reyes is officially announced. USADA and the UFC amend their policies. We revisit the top 10 UFC stories of the last 10 years. And we are joined by Robbie Fox, who discusses how he got his start in the MMA space with Barstool Sports. And Ricky Simone, who faces Rob Font next weekend at UFC Fight Night in Washington, D.C. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or to the podcast. Please tell your friends, review the show, and subscribe. We appreciate any listener feedback you may have, so please feel free to send us some messages on uh, social media at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter, at Bazooka Joe V on Twitter as well for Joe. Uh, before we get started, Joe, I just wanted to take a, a moment to um, send our, our thoughts and prayers and, uh, and our best wishes to the uh, Blanchard and uh, Harris families for the, uh, the un- untimely passing of Anaya Blanchard. Uh, her remains were found this week in, um, I guess, somewhere in uh, Alabama. And uh, sadly, unfortunately, the story has not ended well for their families. Mm-hmm. And we do want to send our best to them. It's, uh, it's uh, just a difficult story to, to cover and to, to follow because everybody obviously was hoping that Anaya would come back uh, safe and sound. But uh, that's not the way that the story, unfortunately, ended. So our, our best to Walt Harris. We've, you know, we've had Walt Harris on the show before. Every time I've spoken to him, we talk about how much he loves his family and how yeah. much he, why he stays in Alabama so he can stay close to home. And uh, this is just a gutting, gutting uh, ending to this story. Yeah. Yep. Well, hopefully, um, you know, the ending to this chapter and uh, hopefully some uh, some big uh, punitive uh, penalties to those uh, who. Yeah. They said know, there was three this. suspects and stuff. So yeah. hopefully, I yeah. mean, this, I don't even have a response to that. Yeah, it's tough to uh, tough to segue from that. But uh, you just got back from Chicago. You I did. did uh, I was shows? just telling yeah. you how exhausted I was. Yeah. I'm beat. Two shows in a weekend. My voice was cracking. Um, just exhausted doing seminars, video stuff, and just I'm completely beat. Yeah, you you got here. The I'm first thing complete. you said was we're getting coffee, right? We're like, like yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. Yes, we're definitely getting yeah, coffee. So I need it. I need it right now. And then uh, yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna be cool because we get to hang out on Saturday. You're coming to a BTC show. You yeah, get to BTC. see my guy in action. This is kind of the first regional card that I'm going to cover with TSN because I want Beautiful. to go. I want to start doing more scouting of a lot of the Canadian talent that are coming up. Because who knows? Like maybe one of these guys is two and zero ends up being a future UFC champion. Yeah, you for just sure, never know. you definitely will. I mean, we had a couple BTC fighters kind of move into the UFC. I mean, we I think it was Kyle yeah, Prekalek. Yeah, as one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking who else from there has gone. Well, Aaron Jeffries in the co-main event. Was yes, on, that's right. Was on the contender, the contender series, series yeah. as well. Um, has Josh Hill fought for BTC? I think he has won yeah. once or twice. He just signed with Bellator, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, athletes are going to come, and next, my guy, Matt Special. I'm excited about Yeah, so we're going to watch uh, Matty's fight this weekend, yeah. and looking forward to that. I'm going to see a nice knockout. We're ready, we're prepared. Hopefully on the right side. Yes, oh, of course, <laughs> of course. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. Um, but yeah, they're doing a good thing over there, so they're helping build talent. It's nice to be in Niagara Falls. And it's it's funny, I keep telling everyone, because of my short back-to-back trips, I leave for China Monday, so I'll come back from Niagara Sunday. I go to China Monday, so I'm, I'm keeping Niagara Falls those Tuesdays. It's like my vacation. <laughs> like, don't bother me. I'm going to be laying at the pool and just pretending to be at the casino in We're Vegas. In Niagara, or something. Oh, the indoor pool. In the indoor yeah, okay. pool, yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend. I'm going <laughs> to go outside, down right? in my robe and slippers, and I'm just going to pretend I'm on vacation. Well, that's a good that's idea. That's my two-day break yeah. I yeah. need. Because yeah, I'm sick of planes. I don't want to go on another plane. There's going to be a 19-hour plane ride to China. Oh, so. Was it in yeah, Shenzhen? Looking forward to it. Yep. Yeah, so, so that's right near where all the protests are Beijing, taking place also. And yeah. then from Beijing, I head to Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. So now I have to, like, when I'm preparing for the show, I'm trying to, the names gets me. Those Chinese names are so difficult to commentate. Give me, give me one of them that's, that's Ooh, tough. Do you I'm have gonna, any off the top of your head? 
I can look it up. Let's, Let's see. see. Glory. Let's Glory see. Shenzhen. Let's see. That's is this their first card they've done? In China? Uh, no, no, this is our. We did also. one last time. Yeah, this yeah. is our third time in China. There's only three fights on the website. Uh, let's see. I got the the it's, special. It's John C's uh, fighting a nice Canadian. Yeah, boy. there's a there's a few good fights. We have an American Elvis Gashi fighting Marat Gregorian. Yeah. So we have Meng Zhang. That's pretty easy, I think. Again, they say the <laughs> names differently. Uh, Dong Quang Lu versus Jing Hyok Kim. Okay. Bin Quang Hu. But you can just call him Kim, right? Like, you don't need to do... It's more uh, Grisham that has to do the full names, right? Yeah, sometimes. If I go into... I hope, I hope they don't do in-ring interviews. Because I have well, to translate and yeah. say names. And no one's going to understand what I'm saying anyways. Zhang Hong Yu. We got a... Uh, what else do we have? That's one. Chao Sun. That's the easy one. Mm-hmm. I'm good with Chao Sun. Okay, there you go. Then I'm practicing. Then we got some Russian ones, too. Hersey Masachuk, Maslaboyev... Maybe there are parts, parts of China that are near Jeez. Russia. Yeah. So I'm going to have to practice some names before the show. That's for sure. All right. Yeah. That's, that's the toughest part, probably. Yeah. The rest of the stuff, you know what you're seeing. Sometimes we just wait because we're like, ah, we forgot what the pronunciation was. So we wait till Tim Hughes yeah. announces it, and then we kind of write it down so we <laughs> kind of remember. Little tricks we do. All right. Well, that'll be fun for, uh, for you. I mean, obviously, the yeah, travel won't fun, be fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll okay. see. It's always fun. You get to sit and watch fights and call yeah. them. That's cool. And then you get to hang with friends. It's just, honestly, it's the plane gets it's me. And it's so short. Yeah. Then you're dealing with jet lag the whole time you're there, and you're you're having to work and perform and do well. And So there is the ups and downs, mm-hmm. definitely. This pressure for being a bro- fight broadcaster and being a fighter. Yeah, there you go. Very similar pressures. Exactly. Except you're not, you know, going. <laughs> I still think it's easier to fight than commentate. Do you? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, that because it's like second nature to you, right? Yeah. Again, the preparation's harder to be a fighter, but for me, performance day, you're fighting for nine minutes, max. Yeah. I got to be enough. on air for six, seven hours and at being at peak. Yeah, that's no. true. And, and you're in like another continent and you were just like home four days prior. Yeah, yeah it's a Have lot. you ever called fights? No, I'd love to, though. Yeah. I've always been I waiting think you, for I think you would be good. Uh, yeah, well, if, uh, if anything ever happens to Grisham, let me know. I'll, That's I'll it. pop in. We'll, we'll knock it out of yeah, the park. Yeah, exactly. Fun. Would you be more of a, you would like play-by-play? Yeah, play-by-play. For That'd sure. You. I can't do color commentary. I don't, I'm not qualified. Yeah. Like if somebody says, Aaron, what's he, what's he setting up here? I could be like, well, it looks like he's trying to go for an arm bar. But like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't have grappling experience. so I. Yeah. But you can kind of tell the audience what's I happening. I could fake it. But uh, yeah, I, yeah. Just, I just feel like, I feel like there are people that are, Qualified to do color commentary because they've they've played or done the sport at a high level, and then there's people that are better at that have a broadcasting background yeah. that are better at doing play. By to play. me, play by play is difficult. Oh, it's very hard. Yeah, and it, it, it like looks easy. It. Oh, like you just follow myself. the format and you kind of go, you no, know, based on itemized. And I'm like, no, to read a promo to kind of. It's more of those the the sequences between, like how to make things flow, the timing of things, and. Having your voice and being that you're the captain of the show, you have to kind of direct things, and it's difficult. That's why I realized like the guys I've worked with are just masters Todd Grisham, Morrow. I was like, damn, those guys are true professionals, and it just makes me think like there's there's levels to this game. But the best play by play commentators, in my opinion, are the ones that know when to get out of the way. Yeah, like, that's, absolutely. That's the key is you talk when you are needed. It's basically about filling a function. Like, I, if I start trying to explain what's happening, you know, I, it, it might not sound as good as if I say, Joe, tell me how what he's setting up there. Yeah. Because you're the one who's going to have the expert analysis. And especially for me, it's the call. Like, so when you, I could be mid conversation and then there's a knockdown happen. I have to be quiet right away. Yeah. Stop where I am because that's. 
the the play by plays time to really hit it. They got to get excited. They got to use all those lines that they've been practicing. You know, like the the Morrow lines, the Mamma Mia. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's all over. You know, knockout of the year. Well, Luke Thomas uh, asked earlier this week, "What do you think was the best call?" Uh, of the last 10 years, the most important call. I said, the most important one is probably uh, he slept him, which is when Connor knocked out Jose Aldo. My personal favorite, though, is from like a Robbie Lawler against, um, who was it again? Uh, guy, West Coast based. I don't know why I'm having a brain fart on his name. But uh, either way, it was like, uh, it was like, ho, 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 it's a KO for Christmas. Something along those lines. It was yeah, one of Morrow's calls. It was good. It was phenomenal. Oh, Morrow. Yeah. Morrow has one of my favorites is Marat Gregorian got a head kick. Yeah, and he goes, Marat Gregorian just put Jim A on airplane mode, and he was like, <laughs> and the guy was just slowly wow. tipping down. I was like, wow, yeah, Moro's Moro's unbelievable. Yeah, that's what would it be daunting for me about doing it. Is like, can I be yeah. even close to as good as somebody like that? Oh. I mean, it takes reps, obviously, in time, but. Yeah, but the thing is, he's, too, he's so it's good. like everyone has a different style, and you kind of like and follow that style. Some people, for example, Michael Chevallo, who does one now, he does a lot of these one-line references that you either love it or you don't like it, you know? So, I mean, where Grisham is a little bit more high energy, you might get Goldberg, who's a little bit more flat. Like, So you have different styles in it, and then you just kind of see who you like better. Yeah, for sure. And I like so, all of them, really. I mean, I think all of them all do have a great job. Good, yeah. I think everybody who's in the space right now, like there's nobody that I consistently say, well, there was one guy, but he's not doing it anymore, yeah. uh, that I thought didn't do a very good job. I personally think boxing commentary needs a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the play-by-play they're, all over, boxers, they're all over the place. All over the place. They jump on each other. Like even watching the zone, like they need to get Todd Grisham calling the big fights because I think um, you know he can really add some spice to that high-level boxing matches. It seems like with boxing, everybody's trying to one-up each other all the time. That's yeah, what I, get I don't know. I don't and know they put like three guys on. I think three three uh, booth commentary is tough. I agree. It's too much it jumping the over. For whatever reason. Sometimes, yeah. But yeah, sometimes the guys know right. their role. Like, I mean, when you see Paul Felder with uh, Hardy, I mean, they kind of work together. They kind of know their timing. So you just got to get used to it. I've called it with. Uh, I've done uh, commentary with Alistair Overeem, and it's just more of like he kind of lets us have our thing until we ask him a question. I'll be like, "Oh, Alistair, what did you think of this?" Okay, Alistair, take us over the highlights. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was fun. So. uh Khabib versus Ferguson. It's signed. It looks like it's going to be signed once again for uh, yeah, April. Would you say in number Brooklyn. five? Take five. Yeah, this hey, time's a charm. Yeah. So what? Uh, what's the, where is it going to be held? What do we know about it? April eighteenth in Brooklyn is the tentative date. It looks like things are signed on Khabib's side, but some reports are indicating that Ferguson's side might not be signed just yet. But I think that they'll get they'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, usually the UFC would never announce something. Whatever. Was what it four or five months early? might even be six months or yeah like five or six months in advance unless there's something they're trying to do as a negotiating ploy like mm. why why put that out there now if yeah unless it's like signed ready to go and you really want a lot of leeway time but uh it, for Khabib and Ferguson you should announce at the last minute <laughs> knowing how cursed this fight is yeah. but uh <laughs> I wrote on Twitter also it still irks me that when uh I think it was October 29th uh 28 was the 29th whenever it was it was early October um October 29th is my son's birthday so that's where that date popped in but uh <laughs> McGregor versus Khabib. Khabib and Ferguson were in the same cage, like 20 minutes apart from each other. That still drives me crazy for some reason. Like yeah, they were both yeah. healthy. They both fought that night, just different opponents. Just different times, yeah. That yeah, makes me nuts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's Khabib hopefully. Ferguson, let's hope. Fingers let's crossed. Hope. Yeah. Put these guys in bubble wrap and let's hope for the best. Yeah. Did any of the early odds come out? Do we know? Yeah. Uh, Khabib, I'll pull it up. 
Because you seem me, to always have that information. Yeah, I, I believe it was Khabib minus 250, but let me, uh, it's not letting me access it on uh, this, so I'll pull it up on my phone. You uh, have that future events page, right? Yeah, so I think it was, I think it was Khabib minus 250, but I'm going to just double check because it is here. Uh, here it is, 248. Khabib minus 250, yeah. Yeah, I just Ferguson saw that plus now. 210. Do you agree with it? Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, you have to really give somebody a price on an opponent of Khabib to be like, okay, I think that that, that there's enough value there to substantiate me taking somebody to beat Khabib. Mm-hmm. We've just seen how dominant Khabib has been. Yeah, But Ferguson is the guy who I think will give him the most trouble. Do you think. think the lines will change? It always and does. In which it'll way? fluctuate a little bit. Which way uh, do you think? I think it'll tighten up a little bit more. That's really? usually what happens. So it'll probably be like Khabib minus 230, Ferguson mm. plus 200 at some point soon. Because they just like the tight. Usually when they, they put it out, it, the, the lines They are try tight. to hype, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they have them. They give you a little bit less value on the underdog and, and a little bit less value on the favorite. And then as the fight gets closer, they tighten the lines. Yeah. So um, I think that the public will probably be more on, on Ferguson, but the money will be more on Khabib, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. I think a lot of people just want to see a change. I don't know. I mean, it depends where your mind is. Do you want to see history being made, or do you like to see the change in the wreck of history? You know, yeah. so like if people start asking Khabib about GSP and Connor and stuff during the fight, he should be like, "I'm fighting Tony Ferguson." Like, yeah, you know, one of the most have dangerous. Seen, have you seen uh, Tony Ferguson fight? Yeah, like yeah. that's a that's a tall task, man. Like Ferguson is is the exact type of guy that you would think would give Khabib problems. He's an offensive offensive grappler, offensive striker, always looking for finishes. Um, you know, he's not the type of guy that's going to be patient and wait. He's just going to go. Mm-hmm. And that's how he does his best work. And Khabib's never faced anybody I like just that always get excited. But then Khabib does what he does. And then there we go again. We continue to talk about levels to the wrestling game. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. I think, like you've said, this is one of, going to be one of his toughest tests. I'm trying not to get excited. I just, like, I want to wait. Because like right. I don't, I don't, All I don't right. want to get. I won't hyped. get excited. I just don't want to get hyped up about it because I'm worried <laughs> it's not going to happen. I almost wanted to pretend that it's not. If it doesn't happen, nothing. that's it. They just got to scrap the idea. Yeah, it's no cursed. more. It's officially that's cursed. It. No more. Done. I don't want to talk about it. I refuse to discuss it anymore. Well, think Done. about what happened. That it was in Brooklyn. Also, it was last year in Brooklyn where you have in the course of one like eight days, I think it was. You had Ferguson trip over a wire and get injured. That took him out of the fight eight days before the fight. Yeah. You get Holloway Jeez. stepping in. They have a press conference and everything. I know everybody's excited. It's champion versus champion. Then, uh, then the commission pulls Holloway. Before the commission pulls Holloway, during that week, you've got McGregor coming to town throwing a dolly through a bus. Mm. People, two fights get pulled off the card because guys are injured from getting glass, like lacerations on their face. Rosanna Yunus is crying. That fight is almost <laughs> called off because she's so shaken by the incident. Who got the glass in the eye? Borg, um, Borg, and, and Kiesa. Uh, Kiesa, that's right. Kiesa, Kiesa has Suda. to pull out. Yeah, yeah. So, like that's that all happens, and then I'm in a I'm in Brooklyn in a, a courthouse waiting for McGregor to show up, and I'm on Twitter, and I and I see that that the commission's pulled Holloway, and now Ayakinta's gonna. Well, first Felder's gonna face him, but since Felder's not ranked, they pull Felder from the fight because the commission's like, no, he's not ranked. It's not a fair fight, and then they put Ayakinta mm. in. Is this part of your top ten stories of? The last I think decade. I, yeah, well, the, if you want to go right into it, we can. No, I don't know, but I mean, that's a good, pretty. It's a pretty I, I epic it, one. I, well, it's a pretty. You want to get right if, into and, it? If anything, it's an honorable mention. Why don't we get right into it? All right, let's I will do confirm it. it was an honorable mention. Hey, there we top, go. So we're gonna do the top ten stories. We're gonna go in chronological order. I don't want to rank them because yeah, it's too difficult. That is too hard. So um, we can start with 2010. I'm probably gonna forget a lot of them, so we're gonna go through memory lane. Yeah, we can start with 2010, where there was nothing that I thought was notable enough. 
to put on this list. There were like there were some good some stories that were pretty big. Like so, b- before we go, how did you get these stories? I went and looked up all kinds of articles, year in review articles. I went and uh, looked at the, t- the the fights that took place that year. Okay, I just went and, and put it together. I compiled it. So if I forget something, feel free to jump in. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, I couldn't remember. Yeah. So you can remember what year it is. I can't remember. Yeah. It was like ten years ago. I don't know what happened. And then I tried to make sure that it wasn't too Canadian slanted. Like I want to. I know. Like okay. for us, it was a big deal when they fought at the Rogers Center, and it was the first. Ontario got like you know they allowed for fights to come to Ontario like that's a big deal here in Canada but but it's not I want to talk about the tenth the biggest story biggest biggest all oh, right big. so I'll mention that as part of my criteria I'm not going to talk about like stuff that's just regional it's fair the, the biggest and and the we're biggest sticking of with, the big and we're sticking with just UFC okay so March twelfth twenty eleven should I do honorable mentions first no let's do them at the end so that okay. people wonder what if whether or not something's on the list March twelfth twenty eleven UFC by Strike Force. Now, yeah. le- now, let me okay. run down the, the fighters who have fought in Strike Force that have ended up being uh, champions in the UFC okay. since then. So we're talking about, like, eight and a half years ago. Fabricio Verdum, yep. Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, mm-hmm. Robbie Lawler, who had previously fought in the UFC, but he came from Strike Force. Yep. Tyron Woodley, Jermaine Durandame, Chris Cyborg, who, again, had a cup of coffee outside of the UFC first. He went to uh, Invicta and, w- and whatnot. Uh, Amanda Nunes. Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate. So they were all like all from Strike Force. Um, was Masvidal wasn't Strike Force? Was he? He was. Okay. But these are those are, oh, these are just the champions. champions. Okay. If you want to talk about people he, that came, well, from he's Strike a BMF Force, champion. Geez. Come yeah, on, I guess yeah, BMF champion. I'll, I'll give you that. Sure. <laughs> all right. But yeah, just so many big names came from Strike Force. They buy Strike Force. Yeah. Uh, the Diaz brothers came from Strike Force. Melendez came from Strike Force. Like there are a Jacques lot. Ray. Jacques Ray came from Strike Force. Uh, yeah, lots and lots. Josh Thompson. So that. Like them buying Strike Force led to really, I think, uh, I don't think a lot of people knew that how good Strike Force fighters would be. Um, you also have Dan Henderson coming back. Like, there's a lot of big stories, but I don't think a lot of people knew how Strike Force would be able to do against UFC competition. I think people still diminish Bellator for that reason. They don't, they say, I don't know how these guys would do against yeah. UFC guys. Well, these guys from Strike Force came in and made an instant splash, big came time. in, won belts, like, the, they had legitimate, legitimate talent in Strike Force that I don't think people really recognized at the time. Do you know what the company was sold for? Do I we? It, I can, I can find that out. Because it'd be interesting to see, like, because I mean, eventually, if they were out of their Strike Force contract, I'm sure UFC could have bought much? them individually. So, uh, according to the LA Times, it was about forty million dollars. Okay. And when you think of how much money, good those, value. Think of how much money <laughs> Corey good... alone has brought to the yeah. UFC. Yeah. yeah, great value. I mean, great value. but they were they were treading water at that point in time. So forty million dollars was probably like a windfall for those guys uh, that in ran. Twenty eleven. Okay, that's yeah, that's not that long ago yeah, when you think about eight it. Half years ago. Yeah, not bad. I would have thought earlier, but yeah, it was like after my first son was born. All right. So uh, yeah, so those are like I thought that was a massive story. Yeah, obviously, for sure. That, that was I the, agree. That was the last, and for a time they didn't really have any really big. Like opposition in the space, uh, Bellator eventually kind of built a little bit, but like they they were able to get and they were ba- able to basically build women's MMA at a point. But uh, let's because go yeah to- because but also I mean it just shows how much of a monopoly UFC was trying to do to create the empire. So yeah, it's a huge story for the UFC. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons I think why they didn't buy like Bell. Like I think they probably could have bought Bellator at some point. At a point, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, August eighteenth, twenty eleven. So we're talking. Um, What's that? Six months later, the UFC signs a, fo- a deal, seven-year deal with Fox, seven-year broadcast deal, and then they. Uh, this is after Spike. This is after Spike. So yeah. the Spike deal ends. 
They, they sign a seven-year deal with Fox, and then they have that crazy heavy, heavyweight title fight on Fox Network mm-hmm. between Velasquez and, and JDS. The yep. last, like, 45 seconds or whatever it was. I remember but that. But still, what a way to bring the product to Fox. Like, even with ESPN when they did Dillashaw versus Cejudo, like, that was still a, obviously a big deal, but... Um, I was still champion versus champion. It was on free TV, technically. It was actually on the, on the app. It was on ESPN+. Plus. Huge. But, but uh, them putting a, a heavyweight title fight on network television, like that might be the first step to the UFC becoming mainstream, really, and when seeing, you think about like, it. seeing the NFL music and seeing yeah, the, the, presentation. You know, the presentation of it to see um, different Fox uh, news hosts on the show. It created a different look for it. Huge story. And the rating for that first one I'm looking up now was... Five point seven million viewers for that first Fox Fox uh, card. Velasquez Insane. versus Dos Santos, crazy. And the uh, the estimate was four point six four, drew over a million more than the estimate. Three point one household rating, the record for the most watched event in the eighteen year history of the UFC at that time. Really? And so that's like that. That's a big story. I mean, that Massive. was they did one hundred and eighty four events on Fox during their uh, time with the network. Boom. But, well, not on Fox. Like, in the Fox family, so Fox, Fuel TV, FX, all those channels, they were... And now working. things FS1, are changing FS2. once again. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. We're getting we're in there. chronological order. I know order. it's coming. Whether or not it made the list, we don't know. I mean, it could be a, yeah. an honorable mention. You might have to listen to the end of the show exactly. now. Yeah, poor you. <laughs> uh, no, November 16th, 2012, so just over a year later, Ronda Rousey signs with the UFC, and uh, Dana White, who was adamant against women fighting in the UFC, meets with Ronda Rousey, is convinced that she's a big star, and, uh, and sign her to a deal. And... Yep. Uh, Women's MMA is pretty much born on a mainstream scale. Okay. I actually just listened to Although I Gina Carano. Yeah, I will say it. Gina Carano versus Cyborg in the lead XC was kind of I was going to say, it's a huge start. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. I wanted to ask but you about that. they never made it as popular. They never had a full ranking system, basically. They never had the divisions. It opened up multiple divisions for women, different weight classes. Well, so, I wanted yes. to ask you something about that Carano interview because one part of it that stood out to me that I figured you could give me some unique insight mm-hmm. on was Gina Carano said was talking about how hard it was for women to come into gyms to yeah. like to do kickboxing to do any sort of combat sports in a gym. What's your experience with that when you were younger? Like let, let's go rewind 10 15 years ago. There just wasn't many women. I mean my coach was always great at creating a great atmosphere. We've always made it um a more of a martial arts setting. So there's a big difference between martial arts gyms and fight gyms at that MMA time. gyms, yeah. Yeah, there, there was a big difference. So, like, martial arts had family, respect, honor, discipline, everyone respected, a hierarchy based on ranking. So it's it's a more of a respect, um, you know, area that you can train at. But then there was a point of, like, uh, the hammer house and, like, hard men mentality. And alpha male. Alpha, alpha male, male yeah. yeah. Everything was all about male and masculinity. So I'm sure a lot of those places weren't welcoming of women. Um, one, a lot of these guys in that old time, like the pre, they were just Japan days. They're all taking extra supplements. There's maybe extra rage going on. So I can see it being hard for a lot of the women. And, I mean, I would say 15 years ago. 20 years ago, a big chunk of the fight community who started with the MMA world were, you know, had trouble with the law. I'll put it nicely. They had law troubles. So what happens there, it's like you get a different atmosphere, different mentality. So it can be easy to go one way in the gym world. So I can see it being very difficult for a woman. But now, I mean, everyone's accepted. 
Well, that was the part everywhere where, you basically go. And that's when Gina Carano started getting emotional at the interview. She was for talking sure. about just how hard it was for women to find a gym to train and where they were not treated as an equal. And she said what I really stood out to me, she said she wasn't really like, like, oh, look how big the UFC is now. That wasn't her main happiness in what she accomplished. She says, I can see a young girl in a gi doing jujitsu and doing great and being welcomed and being self-confident and, you know, building in the martial arts world because she's accepted. So to see her talk about how important her role was in that I think was amazing because mm-hmm. that's what ultimately matters you know getting young women into a sport that gives them confidence that teaches them self-defense that you know creates a more competent and, and you know strong woman I think is amazing and I think all young kids should be doing it mm-hmm. yeah I, I would agree a little biased but I think I'm, all I'm, women and I'm kids should be gonna get a punching bag or a yeah. egg for my, my basement so that's I can get it. all my kids going for sure Every kid, I mean, should know how to throw a punch, especially girls these days. I think the number one art any kid should do is jujitsu, especially as a woman. I think it's important because ultimately a man is going to be stronger. It's science. So if they're going to most likely be able to hold you down, you sh- if you can use jujitsu, which is based on leverage and, chokes. Leverage and yeah. chokes, you don't need strength to do good in jujitsu. So a woman could really defend herself really intelligently with jujitsu. Mm, okay, so, well, no Noted yes. for my uh, my youngest. Uh, absolutely. Oh, she's she's absolutely. We're going to start with walking, and then we'll 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 move to jujitsu. Well, at some I mean, point. well, she's crawling, and she's already on the ground. That's she true. can start learning some d- takedowns or some ankle locks or something. Come <laughs> on, we got something coming. She does enjoy striking. She likes to hit hit my my boys, and then okay. they they like they like it when she takes like a we have like you know like sticks and stuff at our house like toys that have whatever the form of a stick. Yeah. And she she whacks my boys, and they they they. They like, ah, they pretend to be hurt, and yeah. she loves it. She thinks it's the funniest right. thing ever. So so she's future she's got it Rousey. ingrained already. There we go. I like it. Yeah, and she was hitting me with, like, we have, like, a Harry Potter wand-type uh, toy that my son has. She was whacking me with this thing today, and my and I was like, ah, but it, it was legitimately like, yeah. hurting. And my wife's like, that thing hurts, doesn't it? I was like, yeah, but, you know, yeah. she's a baby. She's getting <laughs> she's rewarded. She's having fun. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Um, so that was uh, that was a big story. Ronda Rousey Huge. signing with UFC and built a superstar, and she crossed over into movies. Like they built, yeah. that was, she might have been the first real crossover star that the UFC had because she yeah. predated McGregor for the most part. And she's a lot. She, I think she made it a lot bigger, noise wise, than Gina Carano did. And right? I think another thing that we really need that people don't talk about that often that really needs to be emphasized with women fighting in the UFC is that you have women headlining cards. That aren't like all women events. They're all, it's not like a, an Invicta or whatever. It's they they're the main event. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, it happened with Carano and Cyborg. I think they were the main event of their card. They must have been. But think of think of any other sport where you have women and men on an equal playing field. There just aren't any. Yeah. Really. I mean, I, I there's nothing I can really think of where you could look at a major network sport. Um, I mean, maybe figure skating or something. But I mean, like mixed figure skating or mixed mixed events. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, like we're talking about on on the same events, same you know, you don't even have like men's figure skating and women's figure skating on the same event. Usually, it's usually two different events. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, at least to my knowledge, I'm not a big figure skating <laughs> no, guy. I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping I'm not talking. I'm just agreeing, uh, like because I have yeah, no clue. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm not just making stuff up. And if I am, please feel free to correct me. But um, I, I've just never seen like an, an event on TV where it's like a man comes out and does a routine and then a woman comes out and do yeah. a routine. I, I see mixed, but yeah. Um, but what about, too, I think it's even gone even further. Like, look at one of our champions, Amanda Nunez. Yeah. She's a lesbian, which yeah. is, like, phenomenal to see. We, we're accepting of everybody in this sport now. Right. I mean, sure. has there been, I was, I was trying to figure out, today, is there an openly gay MMA fighter in the like UFC? a male fighter. Male. No, not in the UFC. And outside I'm the UFC, though. I don't think there have been any really at uh, 
at any real level of MMA. Like, yeah, I, I'm so surprised. There are many openly gay women. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm surprised yeah. no men or maybe still because of the stereotypes. and It's still just a machismo thing, I think. Yeah. I think it's still a, just a... But still, I mean, I think that person would really separate themselves in, like, a positive way. If they, if, I mean, that's if there are, but I'm sure there is, I mean, the amount I'll of the fighters. But, I mean, why wouldn't they? Like, I mean, one, they would do a lot of positive press. They can get a... I mean, again, it's the atmosphere is all alpha male, testosterone, fight, beat people up. But, I mean, I, I was curious the other day. Yeah, I don't think they're... Uh... I don't think there really are any. I know that uh, Mark Diakizi was in like an openly gay magazine, but he he did that because I think his brother was openly gay or something along those lines. Hmm. But again, the UFC is also like one of the most like progressive sports when it comes to L- LGBTQ as yeah. a result. And they they do some merchandise around uh, Gay Pride Month or gay, uh, I think that's what it's called L- LB- LGBTQ Awareness Month, yeah. whatever along those lines. They've done uh, merchandise for that. Um, well, that's right. So yeah. They had that. But even, um, I don't know, I just think it's great to just see, like, we used to only celebrate women who, like, looked great. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at Gina Carano. She's in a beautiful dress. She's all looking sexy. Yeah, and Ron and does like, a good you example know, Ron too. does a good yeah. example. So I just think now we moved away from that, to, that in order to be a well-paid woman in, you know, in the fight game, you had to be attractive. So, I mean, not that the others aren't attractive, but, I mean, you know, your stereotypical you know, model-looking type of female. So uh, that's 2012. 2013, I don't have anything, but I have an honorable mention from 2013, which is a GSP announcing that he's leaving the sport indefinitely, like mm. taking a hiatus from MMA. Yeah. I remember that press conference. I remember uh, how big of a deal that was because he had just won over Hendricks, and a lot of people thought he lost that fight. And he was just talking about how crazy the sport drove him, how, how being, a, being a champion was so hard and how much pressure there was, I remember, um, and I remember that awkward uh, post-fight press conference with Dana White where he was saying George isn't coming and George showed up. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> I don't remember that. he was kind of bashing George and, uh, and George, pops George up. just popped into the room. And apparently they had told George not to come and he came anyways. Yeah. Because um, he was hearing Dana talking or is no, it just, just more of just decided to, to come? Show. He's like, why, why wouldn't I go? Um, and then GSP left indefinitely. Of course, he came back eventually. We'll see if that story uh, makes it on the list mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later on. Uh, 2014, nothing. Nothing I had from really? 2014. Okay. Uh, so, so far we've had 2010. Uh, 2011. 2011 we had one. We had two. Nothing from 2020. Nothing from 2014 as even an honorable mention. 2015 is a busy year. Okay. So, June the 3rd, 2015, USADA is introduced into uh, the UFC. So, mm-hmm. active July 1st, about a month later, USADA policy takes effect for the UFC. Uh, when you think about wow. what that's done to the sport... Like, you saw some careers crumble. You saw some careers get better. Michael Bisping, for example. We saw bodies change. We saw bodies change. We saw a lot of changes to the sport. Undefeated fighters start losing. You remember losing. the TRT era of the UFC where the people were like, well, can they take TRT? Or, like, yeah. they got exemptions and all this stuff. They were working with the commissions to get exemptions to use TRT. And then the USADA came in and cleaned the whole thing up. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still... it. TRT to me when it comes to fighting is weird because now that we know, say, brain injuries affect your hormone levels. So if I'm getting more concussions than someone and tend to have lower testosterone levels, which means I can't train more, I can't recover, I'm more tired, um, I'm not as... It's That's the playing field difference. So I don't know. I, I It's kind of like, hey, if my vitamin D levels are low or... I mean, it's not a synthetic hormone, but I mean, I can get why it was legal at one point. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know? it's still illegal in a lot of other you know, promotions and entities yeah. and things like that where they you can probably get a TUE or you can you can have a, a I think you could probably still take something that would at least balance your yeah. levels. I don't I know. know. I might be wrong on that. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, that USADA came in. They got rid of IVs, which I kind of still disagree with. I still think that IVs, when you're rehydrating, would do a world of good yeah. for a lot I of people. I just think it forces fighters to lose more because they know they get the, the IV. Yeah. And also, while we're on the USADA point, didn't they just add a new change to the USADA? Yeah, several. So uh, I had that written down in my notes, but why don't we get to that one a little bit okay. later on? We'll get that story. Perfect. So we'll keep, we'll keep rolling through this. But yeah, the introduction of USADA was kind of a game changer for the sport. Yep, big time. Um, they're still the only major promotion in mixed martial arts to have year-round, like legitimate year-round testing. So, um, Good. But yeah, they just amended the, the uh, USADA rules, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, December the 2nd, 2015, so... About six months later, the UFC signs a deal with Reebok. Yes, so, we're, so yes. this is where we're starting to get the writing on the wall that maybe they're trying to clean the sport up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Get rid of these big banners. Get rid of all the, uh, the the promotions on the shorts and on the shirts. And and kind of sanitize the sport a little bit. Um, or control it more, yeah, however or, you want to look at it. Well, for, for the reason that having uniforms and having a drug testing policy makes it a more saleable asset. Yeah. I think that this was part of... And I, I don't think that I'm saying anything revel, revelatory here, but I think this was part of the grand scheme of building up the value of the UFC to a point where you could sell it, and the, the buyer would would not have to deal with these issues down the line. Yeah. Um. So yep. the Reebok deal happens. I still remember they had a Reebok event in New York where, like, I think McGregor was there, Ronda was there. Like, it was a big deal. We went to uh, cover it for Off the Record, but like all of the champions and all of like. I should almost look up the list. Reebok UFC introductory press conference. So, yeah, I, I can't seem to find it here. But, yeah, it was a, like a bunch of different athletes. Like all the major UFC fighters were all in one room. And you got to kind of interview them. They did almost like a, a fashion show almost with the, mm. the new Reebok gear and what it looked like. I and was, there have been a lot of hiccups along the way. I was just shocked that it was Reebok out of all the companies. Because you got to think Reebok isn't of the brands the biggest of the sport. I mean, especially now, the fact that they're still in it surprises yeah. me. And to see how Nike big was Nike was sponsoring John Jones. Yeah. yeah. Anderson Silva yeah, had Nike. Yeah. So I would have thought more of a Nike would have came in or a bigger of the brands. Like even an Adidas would be bigger. Uh, Adidas done... owns Reebok, though. So okay. it's kind of under the same umbrella. Because I know kickboxing, and sometimes they have a lot of Adidas as well. Yeah. So I didn't expect Reebok to be the one to get it. And they did. And uh, since then, they've done a lot of changes to the uniform. They've been trying to make it a little bit more fighter-friendly. A little bit more personal. Yeah. yeah. But still, it's uh, it's interesting to see how that's kind of changed the look of the sport. You don't see these banners anymore. You should, but Cleaner, if you, yeah. if you go to Bellator, you watch that, you see the, the sponsored shorts, you see the uh, banners. But a lot of people pin this particular deal on the lack of sponsorship opportunities now for athletes in the sport, and I think that that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think there's ways to do it, but you just, to not have them on TV, um, I get why UFC would do it. I really do. I mean, it sucks for the fighters, because ultimately uh, an MMA guy isn't getting paid what yeah. they should be, so it kind of helped offset the, the cost and the balance, but I do get it. And they have the uh, the, the Reebok outfitting bonuses that they all get for wearing, you know, yeah. wearing yeah. the fight kits, which is not a, a ton of money. But, yeah. but I mean, it's it definitely changed things. And I think even, um, I think other sports now, like even with kickboxing, I think we've tried it at one point too. We're trying. We don't let the banners, 
Um, even to the point of the kickboxing, we don't let our corner walk out with our the fighter because we want it to be all about the fighter. We want to showcase them. We want to keep things clean, no banners. Just It kind of simplifies things, makes things um, just more business-like. And I think if the company's going to grow, it needs that business structure. Grow or sell. Or right? sell, yeah, I mean, which is ultimately these the are goal. Do yeah. you think so? You need structure. Do you think that's ultimately the goal of a lot of these promotions? Is to 100%. Have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, possible. Big um, time, big time. I think with the UFC, it was pretty clear, especially with this. But uh, this is the first in-cage moment of the list. December the 12th, 2015, McGregor knocks out Aldo in 13 seconds. I think that's one of the top stories yeah. in the last 10 years. Because that created the rise of Conor McGregor, which showed and catapulted the UFC to, yeah. like, the, the the European market grew substantially mm-hmm. because of it. I mean, yeah. But also, this was the first, like, real major superstar that was, like, he, he didn't go out and do movies. He didn't go out and do all kinds. Of, he's just, he was the cage fighter. Yeah. And he was basically at, like, a 9 out of 10 in terms of stardom just going into the fight with Aldo. They did the world tour. They did all kinds of stuff. But McGregor wasn't like a household name or recognizable guy. When he had this knockout, 13 seconds against a guy who hadn't lost in how many years? Uh, like, I think he had lost his first professional fight, Aldo, and was undefeated since mm-hmm. then. Aldo was a killer. Yep. For him to knock out Aldo in 13 seconds. And the stuff he was like, saying about wild. Brazil and yeah. all the, the heat and the controversy. and it is all, would, How significant would it be compared to like a Forrest well, Griffin? He wasn't really saying a lot of stuff about Brazil. He was That was more of a Chael son thing. He, he, I remember he went to Rio and said, I own Rio, and he was ripping pictures of Aldo and stuff like okay. that. But uh, I still think, though, that, that him getting in Aldo's head and him, like, so I can give you a bit of a background story. When they did their tour, they came to this building. Okay. So McGregor was here. Aldo was here. Dana White was here. Rory and Robbie were here. Keep in mind, that was the same event, too. That was, I think, supposed to be the same event. I think all, that, that world tour, Aldo had pulled out before that by that, and then Mendez came in. But, um so Aldo and McGregor were here, and uh, if you watch some of the videos, you can see them on the set of Canada AM. And I guess Canada AM just came up with a seating arrangement for where they'd be and sat McGregor behind Aldo. Okay. And McGregor was flicking his ears, and Aldo was furious. Like, just Aldo wanted pissed. nothing to do with any of this. And, yeah. and McGregor was, like, legitimately angering Jose Aldo. And it ended up showing him. And the craziest part about that fight, I think, outside of obviously the knockout, was at the end, Aldo looked just, like, completely distraught. And McGregor, you could tell, felt for him. He was like, listen, it's okay. I'll give you another shot. Like, mm. like that, that whole thing was just crazy. For sure. You get caught. Yeah. It happens. You take the risk. You get hit. So that's, that's I it. think that's got to be on the list. I think yeah. that was just such a crazy moment. I think it, it catapulted the sport in popularity. Yeah, I think that really opened up the European market. I definitely feel. Yeah. I mean, and it also just gave the UFC kind of that household name. And they had Ronda Rousey at the time, too. Um, but while we're on the subjects of Ronda Rousey, 2015, Ronda Rousey loses to Holly Holm. This is an honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, Rousey loses to Holm. Because I think that women's MMA, at that, up till that point, was defined as, like, this is Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey is women's MMA. Um, and, and nobody was able to even come close to beating her. Holly Holm beats her, and now it, it just opened up the floodgates for, like, now women's MMA. There's, like, all these different challengers, all these different champions. The game's evolved. Like, that was kind of the, a watershed moment, I think, for women's MMA in the UFC. Yep. It's a good honorable mention. Yeah, I wouldn't have put it in the top ten. I agree yeah. with you. It's definitely an honorable mention. Yeah, it's a big one. Um, so three stories from 2015. You have USADA, Reebok, and McGregor knocking out Aldo in 13 seconds. Big, which was big year. Yeah, and then we've got another big year, 2016. Okay. March 22nd, 2016, New York State legalizes MMA. Um, I think that that was just 
they had been trying to get events in the garden for so long, and there were there were all these different senators that were like in the pockets of the uh, culinary union and wouldn't wouldn't allow for MMA, even though they had boxing and all kinds of other stuff. Because mm-hmm. it York was State. the elbows, I believe. A lot of it had to do with the elbowing. There were a couple different reasons, but I think a lot of it was just cover for how much of a unionized city it is. Like even MSG is is a union shop, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of the politics and red tape there were what were keeping the UFC out behind them not having. Like, the station casinos that the Fertitas owned didn't have unionized workers. They were, like, the only casino in Vegas that didn't have a union yeah. at the time. So the culinary union was very, like, they put a lot of lobbying money behind making sure that MMA wasn't legalized in New York because of how unionized of a city it, it was. And that's what uh, took it so long. And Sheldon Silver, who was the main uh, person that kept it out of New York State, I think got arrested at some point in time. And mm, I think he, Yeah, so I don't know what his status is right now, but... Uh, Eventually, it gets legalized in uh, in 2016. It was at a perfect time because it was right when McGregor had like become a big star. It was right when the UFC had really started to break through into the mainstream. And which was our first event? And what was the main event in well, New York? Well, we can get to that a little bit uh, later on in the uh, oh, in, look in at that! I'm getting ahead of myself. Good segue, Joe. That's it. But we've got one thing in between, which is uh, July 11th, 2016. The UFC is sold to Endeavor. W well W M E I N G at the time. Now now Endeavor. Um, Basically, Dana this, and the Fertitas. Yeah, Dana and the Fertitas finally. Well. <laughs> yeah, just just over a year after the USADA deal is uh, is announced, all of a sudden you now have new ownership for the UFC, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is predicated on on them getting a lot of money from rights deals in the future and from owning a, a big entertainment brand. Um, you know, WMEIMG had owned uh, PBR, the Professional Bull Riding League, and they were starting to get into this kind of thing, like sports and and all of that. And uh, it was just a, a real surprise that kind of out of the blue. The UFC sells for over four billion dollars. And what percentage was sold? Was it the whole? Um, is it because it wasn't the whole business, I, I right? Think it, I think it was. I think it was like a basically. I can't remember. Because doesn't for sure. uh, I heard? But, I don't know. Dubai owns ten yes. percent. So, so this is what it was basically. Like Endeavor got investors from other companies to help buy the to UFC, buy the UFC, and they got a stake as part of it. But I think it okay. was. I think it was from that Endeavor purchase. And Dana White sold his share of the company. Yes. But okay. I think he got some shares in Back the sale in. for working for them. Okay. So I think he still has um, some sort of percentage. Some, yeah, of some it. sort of percentage of. Uh, okay. Yeah. So Good uh, to know. That was, a, that was a big one. UFC sold to Endeavor. Uh, again, at the time, WMEIMG, now, now known as Endeavor. Uh, that one, I think, is just a major story because Huge. it changed the whole face of the business. Huge. Uh, and then. As you had mentioned, the first MSG event, November 12, 2016, McGregor becomes the first champ champ. The first champ champ. Now, the All reason, right. obviously, why this story is so important is because the champ champ era began. Everybody yeah. now wanted to be the champ champ. Now, that's all it, belts it's and two about. Can't and, just be a champion in one anymore. It's not cool enough. Yeah, and since then, I think there have only... I, I didn't get a chance to fully research this today because I, uh, we ended up starting a little bit early, but I think there have been three champ champs since then, or four. You've got Cejudo. Yep. You've got Amanda Nunes. You got GSP, and you've got uh, oh, actually no, GSP, GSP wasn't a champ. Be champ. A he champ, wasn't an active champ. Yeah. champ. Sorry, it was Cormier. So it was uh, those three, I think. Yeah. Am I forgetting anybody? I don't think so. No, no. Holloway had a chance, but didn't. Yeah. But yeah, three champ champs since then. Like, I mean, you could almost put GSP just because he won yeah. two different divisions. Well, he never lost the welterweight belt, but he wasn't the champion in two at divisions the at the same time. So if you think back, like how long the UFC had been around for. Now suddenly in 2016, like three years ago, almost to the date, to the day today, um, 
look at how many different champ champs have emerged and how this has become kind of a real big deal in the sport. And a little bit of an annoying deal yes, in my mind. A very annoying deal. Although it's starting to taper off a little bit. Yeah, it's I think we're to starting to down. see people realize that being the champ champ is now kind of it didn't how much did it do for everybody? Yeah. You know? But the problem is you win a world title and hey, what do you want next? Well, I want to go to the next division. Yeah. Defend five or six times and then let's move up yeah, to there should Cejudo be almost be particular. like a there should almost be like a a, 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 clause. a clause saying yeah. five Defend five times. Like, I mean, even John Jones, like, I don't mind that he's, you know, oh, we're not overly excited to see him fight Dominic Reyes next. Yeah. But at least he's, you know, following, fighting the number one contender, dominating the division before he moves up to heavyweight. So I'm okay with it. And Jones it. said something to me this year that I think a lot of people failed to pay attention to, which was that the move to heavyweight for him, a lot of it has to do with health. He doesn't want, like, he's got four daughters. He doesn't want to sustain the kind of brain damage he was sustained from fighting heavyweights, yeah. and he said unless he the money is unless to, the yeah. money is right, there's no reason for me to move up to heavyweight. And it's okay not to fight a superstar every time you fight. Yeah. Like look at boxing, we've seen, you know, all the biggest names. Tyson Fury fights someone I couldn't even tell yeah. you who he fought, exactly. but we're all watching, we're all seeing him. Build. Otto Valin. There you go. So you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what we got to do. So let these guys fight. Let them continue to dominate the division. Champ, champ era. Great, that's what it was all about. Let's right? slow it like, down. That's what the sport was all about: was domination, being, being the goat of your division, being GSP, who defended how many times? Yeah, fifteen. Or like, what would you Anderson rather be, Silva? If you're if you're Cejudo, and what do you think he'll be most remembered for? Like, if he were to have gotten, I don't know, six title defenses in a row at bantamweight, like people, you'd probably rather be viewed as the best bantamweight ever than like the champ, than a guy who was a champ, champ once. Champ, champ's pretty good. It's, it is. It cool. is a nice. It's a cool it's thing a for nice your legacy, thing. but. I still like, I agree with you. I think that, that title defenses in your weight class yeah. are important. Yep. They matter. Um, and I think in the case of like a Nunes versus Cyborg, I, I'm, I'm accepting of it. There were no challengers at 135 really at the time. Uh, nobody was like Cyborg wasn't getting any real competition when she was in the UFC for the most part. But people that were like, oh, she's going to lose or she, there's a chance she loses this yep. fight. That that made more sense to me because there wasn't there were nobody there was nobody signed in 145. So having Nunes move up and do that, Nunes had also fought at 145 previously. It's not like this was her first time ever fighting at featherweight, right? So that made sense to me. And we also got that great Connor line. I would like to apologize to absolutely, absolutely nobody. Was that was that when he beat Alvarez? Was it? It might be. I thought that's when he got the champ champ line. No, it might be. Because I, I remember, remember he had two belts on when he said yeah. it. Oh, so then yeah, that must have been when he beat Alvarez. Yeah. So you're right. So. Yeah. Champ, champ. Champ, champ. Um, 2017, nothing uh, on the list. However, there was an honorable mention, which was Maymac. Maymac, um, it's hard to call it really a UFC story. I mean, UFC were kind of part of the co-promotion of it. So, uh, you know, I, I think it, yeah. you'll allow that, it. Yeah. Obviously, McGregor was a UFC fighter. So um, I just thought that we may never see another spectacle like that in our lifetime yeah. where you have two sports colliding like that uh, with so many people. It was over 4 million people watching um, the fact that it actually got put together instead of people just talking about it all the time. We still hear a lot of fighters now talking about, oh, I want to... Uh, Dillashaw said this week... It's when starting he, right now, yeah. Dillashaw yeah. wants to fight yep. Floyd, May- Floyd Mayweather. Yep. Luke Thomas, I will give him a lot of credit, had a great solution for this. If an MMA fighter wants to fight a boxer, they don't get paid unless they win. Then we'll yeah. see how many mixed martial that artists are going to call do. out boxers. Oh, who else? Tyson Fury and Junior DeSantos recently yeah, as well. And Nganu. Yeah, and apparently, Nganu versus... Well, uh, did you hear Faraz on... Um, on no, Rogan? I'm saving that to listen on the China Can flight. Can I tell you one thing that he mentioned? Fine. Okay, so he mentioned okay. that he... Oh, actually, it was Rogan who mentioned that Rogan was uh, with Nganu's 
agent or manager or something. He ran into him at random. He said his kids were doing like laser tag or something like that. Okay. And the, and you get paired up with another family, and the other family happened to be Francis Ngannou's manager. <laughs> That's hilarious. So he, Francis Ngannou's manager was talking about how he eventually Ngannou wants to be like a heavyweight box. He wants to go into heavyweight boxing. He wants to like maybe when his contract expires with the UFC, he'd consider going back into boxing, which is where he originally wanted to get into before he learned about what MMA was. You have to remember, like, Francis didn't know what MMA was like six years ago, which yeah. is crazy. But, uh, yeah, so the boxing thing is still part of the culture of, of yeah. MMA because of this uh, this fight. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, I would say, a more entertaining boxing match than a lot of boxing mm-hmm. matches you'll see because it was so unpredictable. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew what McGregor was going to look like. You know, Mayweather kind of cruised for the first couple rounds and it made it look like it was going to be a competitive fight. Yeah. I do think that that McGregor kind of or Mayweather kind of did that by design. He For kinda, sure. It, so to kind of carry carry his opponent a little not bit. Not even carry. Like you don't know that unorthodox you're not used to. Stay defensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why am I going to open up and take a chance of getting hit? Yeah. If anyone knows about staying defensive, it's Mayweather. That was his uh, his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But I'm uh, like I could have easily been one of the top ten stories. You could have. No, that could have been easily oh. one of the top. Oh yeah, Maymac. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That was I think my last easily... omission. Yeah. Um, all right, and now we've got. 2018. This is number 10 on the list. The last, the last one. Oh, on, this is on our this last list. one. Yeah, our last one. Okay. As you had kind of mentioned earlier, the UFC signs with ESPN. Okay. So May 8th, they signed the deal with ESPN Plus for 15 events on strictly a digital platform, and then suddenly, two weeks later, out of nowhere, they signed the television deal with ESPN. Amidst mm-hmm. rumors, they were looking at possibly signing with Turner, possibly re-upping with Fox. ESPN. There's a whole great article actually about um, the conversation, like how. The UFC and ESPN ended up having the deal where they went to dinner and were like, okay, well, let's do this. They yep. kind of sat down and cool. laid out what they were going to get out of the deal. And now, since then, uh, I didn't even put this on the honorable mention list, but now ESPN Plus is also the distributor of pay-per-views. I think that's more of, a, uh, of an American story than mm-hmm. it is like a global UFC story. And even this, to an extent, is more of an American story. But if you go to the U.S., which you do a lot, yep. and you turn on ESPN, I don't know if you do that a lot because you don't watch basketball or Not whatever. Not much, no. But if you look at the at the uh, the the ticker on the bottom every minute you've got a UFC a thing. UFC banner yeah. here's the yeah. pay-per-view like people don't understand the reach of ESPN like how many eyeballs are on ESPN on a day-to-day basis and every bar like Fox Sports 1 was never it like just that. plays everywhere plays everywhere anywhere you go it's playing so the U- this was the UFC's real opportunity to not just be mainstream, but be like a household regular sport. And the biggest, you On know, the biggest network, yeah, network. gets coverage. Yeah, I think that uh, it can't really be understated. And I talk to Dana White about this every now and then, like just how cool it is to see when you're just in your hotel room, you're on ESPN, you see UFC stuff pop up. Because ten years ago, it was unimaginable. Yeah, from an outsider's perspective, I'm Crazy. sure Dana White probably thought it would happen, but just he, to hear recaps on Sports Center, like that's huge. Yeah, exactly. Massive. And I think that that's. Uh, why signing with ESPN was such a big deal. Like they're, they're no longer on network television. They're not on ABC or anything along those lines. Um, even in Canada, they used to be on CTV2 as part of the last deal, but now they're not. I don't think it matters. Like I don't think sports fans are, care that much about network TV. But I think being on ESPN is like a massive, massive deal. Yeah, 100%. So um, that, was, uh, that was the last one on the list. And there was good. one last honorable mention. There was nothing for 2019 on the list. But 2018, I have one that I'm thinking of an honorable mention. Let's see if I get it. Would it be, I don't know, it's 
Um, I would say it's a big deal, but uh, the trade to get Astray. It was, it was on my list. It was, okay. it was an omission. I didn't With, even uh, have Demetrius it. Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, I didn't have it as an honorable mention, but that was a big story. But okay. I feel like that's kind of a reason. It, it wouldn't thing. be the, yes, but it wouldn't have been the top 10, but it's worth an honorable yeah. mention, I think, because that's the first time we've ever seen you know, a transaction between two fight organizations. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the last one, last honorable mention was uh, UFC 223 Fight Week, which we discussed earlier. The. Uh, be with the bus incident and okay, all the stuff yes, that happened. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know if it's really necessarily a big story, but that was a week where the UFC was all over the news and mainstream news, sports news. Like, that was a crazy. Like, when you think about how much stuff happened that week, there's never going to be another fight week no, like that, I don't no. think. Like, like you said, from court cases yeah, to he was, violence. He was, to... McGregor, out of nowhere, ends up at Barclays Center, throws, goes down to like the, the shipping docks, throws a dolly through a bus. <laughs> he's, then he's in court like a day later. Like he gets arrested. Like, the injuries, the yeah. lawsuits following. Fight, fights the... falling off the car. Ayakinta is fighting Khabib on like less than 24 hours notice or just, just, uh, just under 24 hours notice like, or just over 24 hours notice, I guess. But yeah, it's like that to me was like living in a, in a dream. Being, mm-hmm. being there on site covering that, like... I can't. Uh, there's nothing that's compared to that for me. I mean, Australia could be pretty big. Uh, honorable mention that last winter just, just breaking yeah. into Australia and like the attendance record. That's not even a. That's not even a top moment in Australia. Yeah. That's happened in the last ten years, in my opinion. The top Australian moment in the last ten years was Colby coming and get a hit, getting hit with a boomerang. They hit him with a boomerang. There we go. The most Australian story ever. <laughs> get, doesn't get more Australian yeah, exactly. than that. Hit with Unless a, a koala bear kind of jumped off a tree and strangled yeah, exactly. him or something. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, the, the boomerang. UFC wins. fighter stabbed by Crocodile Dundee. In yeah, Australia. there you go. Yeah. There you go. That can work. Yeah, exactly. The boomer, the boomerang story is still to like this oh, day yeah. one of my favorite stories ever. That's <laughs> it is too good. good. It's too funny. That's awesome. Um, so we, we we had mentioned USADA and the UFC amending their policies. So the way that I put it today, when I did uh, I did a hit today for uh, for Digital Sports Center, or not or whatever our digital platforms, um, and I said that USADA was put into place to protect the fighters. This amendment is also put into place to protect the fighters, but in a different way. Yeah. This is more to protect their reputation. So they're starting to institute minimum threshold limits for all of the different um, drugs, I guess, that would be flagged by a USADA drug test so that if you have trace amounts in your system, you know, you kind of – they'll investigate it, but you'll probably be found Still be able to innocent and be yeah. able to compete. Um, also, they now have a UFC certified substance list where if you pop for a, a tainted supplement and it's on the certified list, you it's like total exoneration. Mm. Uh, because those are the ones that the UFC said they were third-party tested and all that stuff. So these are big steps for um, the protection. And and another thing they had done previously was to not announce a failed drug test until the whole process. Had yeah, they don't can't announce the name, right? Yeah. It's almost what are we going to call it? The John Jones Law, the Picogram well, Law. There's also Nate Diaz and there's also Sean O'Malley. Like a lot of these fighters that have. But it started with John Jones and his Picogram. I think probably. so. Yeah. I think so. And, uh, well, the, the first John Jones positive test wasn't the picogram thing. It was, the, remember, the, uh, the uh, gas station, uh, the gas station er, 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 erectile, erectile dysfunction pills. pills. Yeah. yeah, That was kind of the first one. Um, but the but, last recent stories yeah, was him and his right, picograms. The picograms. And that could stay in his system for an indefinite amount of time. So mm-hmm. if it's below a certain threshold, the UFC is basically saying, well, there's no performance-enhancing qualities here. Okay. So uh, it's interesting. Now... Whether this leads to like micro dosing or something along those lines, who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, you know, knows? like if you were a UFC works. fighter and you wanted to game the system, couldn't you realistically like take a test, wait an hour, and then just assume they're not going to come back within 24 hours? And like, but I heard sometimes that yeah, they they can come they back. Do. And yeah, last. they could. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, I still hear people like fighters in the UFC confidently say that there's uh, there's fighters on something. Yeah, which I, I I don't know how. Like, how if you're getting USADA tested? Well. Dillashaw, for example, when he was on EPO, they need to do a specialized, expensive test. The test specifically for EPO won't show up on a regular test. Okay. So if people have kind of these designer steroids or designer performance-enhancing drugs, maybe they have determined that testing for this particular substance is kind of rare. Yeah. And you might not get caught. Because who's to say that TJ Dillashaw wasn't using EPO all these years and it just never came up? Although Nowitzki did say that they went and tested previous samples and didn't find anything. And it would have it would have counted as a supplemental – like it would have counted as another failed test. If they, would have, they went back and tested like samples from like 2016 and put it through the EPO test. And Jeez. if he was found to have been on EPO, it would have been – he could have gotten banned from the sport. But which is weird because if there is no USADA at that time, right? There was at that There time. was at that time. Yeah. Okay. That's when they tested. But they I thought, from my from my knowledge, that they did test samples before USADA, but they wouldn't have had. It would have been the commission, maybe. though. It wouldn't have been the UFC. Like they wouldn't have kept those. Okay. The commission maybe would have, but the USADA couldn't regulate those. It would have to be like a mark test, and they they have like a storage facility where they keep a lot of these samples for years and years yeah. for this very reason. So, and then you watch Icarus, and then you think, I love things that movie. could change. I need to go back and watch that again. Me too. Me too. Because I watched it, and then. All the hype came up after, so I got to rewatch it, knowing that all of the the topics that have come up from it. Well, the craziest part about that it was a, it was that it was a documentary about something else completely, and then it just morphed into a different yeah. documentary as it went on. I think that's the best part of the of the movie, from like just a, a filmmaking standpoint. That yeah. it's almost like a redirect where you're watching a completely different thing, and then suddenly it's like, whoa! Yeah, it totally <laughs> opens your minds, and those listening who I recommend watching it totally changes your mind. So they've Crazy. announced they've announced Jones versus Reyes now, as well as Chukagian versus. Uh, I guess challenging for uh, Valentina Shevchenko's title in Houston this uh, February. As you know, I'm not a big fan of Houston, but I, I will go and I will smile and grin and bear it and <laughs> enjoy my time there. I actually got a rental car this time because it's not a, it's like not a walkable city, and I'm not okay. staying downtown. Yeah. I've learned my lessons from staying in Houston. Uh, the amount you pay in Ubers to go anywhere, yeah, you might I, as well just rent the car. Yeah, I'm just gonna rent the car. Um, so. Uh, Jones versus Reyes is an interesting one, man. Like, you have a, a guy who's younger and undefeated against John Jones. Like, we've seen him fight a younger fighter before. We've seen him fight undefeated fighters before, but never both. Yeah. And uh, while that might be a bit of a reach, you do have to look at what Dominic Reyes has done in the UFC and think, well, if Jones is going to try cruising again like he has in the last two fights, like, Reyes is going to be dangerous the whole time. He's got the length. He's got the reach. He's got the power. I mean, he's got a chance. I just think... The levels will change. I mean, his well, ability to wrestle. Like, I, I don't think I just John think that, Jones will sit there. I think that John Jones is going to get up for this fight. I don't think that the last two he was like uh, thought that there was going to be any real challenges. He kind of admitted as much. He kind of said he was getting a bit complacent and you know thinking he was much better than the other guys and all that. With a guy like Reyes, like you see the danger in this guy. Not that Tiago Santos wasn't dangerous. Tiago Santos is a very dangerous guy, but I think you have like a game plan where you can be like, okay, well I'm going to win, win on points. With Reyes, like this guy's going to be attacking at all times. Yeah. Do you think? How would you think Reyes and Gustafson would do? What do you mean Reyes and Gustafson? Like Reyes versus Gustafson? Yeah. Uh, I think Reyes would knock Gustafson out probably. Really? Uh, yeah. I was just going to, because I was trying to compare the style and the tools that they had on the feet. I would have thought maybe Gustafson has a little bit more tools than Reyes would have to win. But that power, right? I mean, 
Who knows? Well, Reyes, I think like the thing about Reyes is like if you can if he can time a counter, I think he can beat anybody. Oh, that's because he's got that like he he, he can go off his back foot and just generate so much power with that athleticism that he has. But also, John Jones won't run at, rush you like that. Also, he's a little Very bit more true. intelligent. You Very know? true, and he might know that that's kind clinch of his up, best thing wrestle, to do. Yeah. Right. use his elbows, his hand control. Yeah. And Jones is a four to one favorite in this spot. Four to one. Reyes, I agree with it. One. Yeah, me I mean too. Reyes is good. I mean I just levels, man. Yeah, That's and I guess I we'll see. Say. I guess we'll see where Reyes is at, right? Because he had a lot of trouble with Uzdemir. A lot of people thought Uzdemir won that fight, but uh, we also saw him knock out Weidman in the first round, right? So we're going to see how this works out. I honestly wouldn't mind for Reyes to wait it a little bit more. Honestly, I don't think there was. I mean, I know I know they're looking for that next contender, but you know, to me, he seems like he's young. He's developing. I'm sure in age-wise he's not that young, but, I mean, just in his career, the way he's building in the UFC, I mean, hopefully it's one of these, you know, he does, he learns, he gets better, and because I think he can be legitimately a top contender for, for time to come. Well, since you're not here next week, we are going to uh, go to our next interview, and then after that we're going to each pick two fights on UFC Washington. Oh. Uh, because you're not here next week. We just did two for uh, the last card in Sao Paulo, because it, and now we've got another week off, so I figure we'll do two. Right. And we'll see how it goes. You're, you've you've almost doubled your. Uh, I think I went one for one out of two. No, you went one, one out of two. One. one was like plus one hundred two, and one was like whatever was plus two hundred. Yeah. But you won the one that was plus one hundred two, so you gained like twenty cents on your. Uh, hey, yeah, I'll there take you go. Twenty cents. All right, it's better than losing, right? Um, all right, so but before that, we're gonna go to uh, Robbie Fox. Robbie Fox is a, a young chap. I think he's only twenty one years of age, but. Uh, he has a pretty interesting story of how he got into the industry. Now, he works for Barstool Sports, which is kind of, uh, I guess you could call it non-traditional sports media. Mm-hmm. And uh, he walks me through a little bit how he got into this industry, you know, what, what he does on a day-to-day basis at Barstool, and, uh, and what he loves about the sport. And uh, we, will, we will go to him now. He is Robbie Fox, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by Robbie Fox of BarstoolSports.com. So, Robbie, I want to talk to you about Conor McGregor first and foremost. I know you're a, you're a big Conor McGregor guy, but it's starting to look like this January 18 card might not be a Conor event. Are you hearing anything about this? Uh, you know what? I, I don't have any inside information on it, but I did see some tweets yesterday about that pay-per-view they're putting on in Houston in February and, and all of that scheduling stuff. It's tough that this won't happen at January 18th anymore. It doesn't seem like that anyway, but... With Conor McGregor, you really never know what's going to happen. If they announce that January 18 card tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised by it. If they say it's off tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised either. So it's one of those, for me, it's like, I'm waiting until the ink is dried. Yeah, until a poster comes out saying that the event in Houston is UFC 246, I don't think we have that much to worry about. I mean, it's just a number that you're changing here. You can do that instantaneously if you reach an agreement. Totally. I mean, they've, they've done that for events like on the week of the event. They've moved events. Move events have, you know, fallen apart. Events have built up to something that they weren't before. The UFC is so fast moving. With that kind of stuff, I don't, like, try to get my, in the weeds and concern myself with it too much. It is what it is. Like, what, what Connor says at this point, I hate to say you sort of have to take it with a grain of salt because not a ton of the things he's been saying recently have come to fruition. But it is what it is. I, I, I think we'll see him sooner rather than later. And in fact, I mean, it could also be a negotiating ploy. You, you know, somebody totally. leaks out that that's the event number, and then suddenly it's like, oh, they're ready to move on. Totally, totally. I could, I could see that as well. Well, I wanted to talk to you because your path to media is pretty interesting. You're still a very young guy. You're in non-traditional media at Barstool Sports. And I'm sure a lot of people that are, 
you know, that are your age, that are younger, are interested in getting into media. And I think that the media landscape is shifting a lot. So I, I just want to hear your story. How did you get into uh, being at Barstool Sports? So I was a fan of Barstool for a really long time. I remember it like it was yesterday, like my one of my older cousins showed me Barstool at a family party under the guise of sort of like, hey, you shouldn't really be seeing this, but it's very funny, and I think you would find it funny, so check it out. I think I was like honestly 12 or 13, and from there I fell in love with it immediately. It just seemed like a company where people were literally being paid to be friends and talk with their friends, and that seemed so appealing to me. And talk about whatever they wanted to. It seemed like there was a lot of freedom. So I applied to Barstool via sending emails in, sending sample blogs, sample T-shirt designs, sample videos, sample podcasts, everything like that. From the time I was 13 to the time I was like 17 or 18, I got replies back in the process. Someone like Big Cat, someone like Dave, they would reply to me and be like, hey, dude, great stuff. We cannot hire a 14-year-old. You're in high school. <laughs> also, the company was you know, not what it is now at that time where everyone was together. It was all remote. Everyone was operating out of wherever their apartment was in New York, Chicago, Boston, stuff like that. So eventually when Chernin acquired the company and moved everything to New York, I viewed that as like a perfect opportunity for me to get my foot in the door growing up in Jersey, just, you know, 15 minutes away. And I had just graduated high school. I was in my first semester of community college and I got a job as an intern for this guy Riggs who covers golf, world news, politics. Now it's more golf, but at that time, sort of all three, three things I know nothing about, to be completely honest with you, Aaron. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to politics, golf. I mean, I don't, I, I've been on one golf course in my life. It was luckily Augusta National because I got that job as, as his intern. I produced a foreplay podcast for a while. That is our golf podcast. And then basically started blogging about MMA on the side of my internship, like, Dave had seen some of my blogs. He thought I was funny, and he said, yeah, you could, you could start publishing blogs on the site. Nobody had covered MMA before on Barstool, so I knew it was a void that needed filling. And I want to say five or six months after I got that job as an intern, I got a full-time offer and wound up dropping out of that community college, and here I am. Well, that's fantastic. That, that's really cool. I mean, it goes to show that when you're young, if you have a, a path at age whatever, 12, 13, that you want to follow, if, if you – keep like you know keep going after it it's a lot easier to get into the industry at a younger age you know, i know a lot of people that i meet that they're like you know right now i'm i'm working in marketing but i really want to get into media i'm you know i'm 30 and i want to i think and i'm like you know it's, it's a real uphill battle i mean you basically have to start from the very bottom uh and work your way up so um kudos to you i mean i think it's great to to hear that you you had chased your dream i know i spoke to megan olivia and she said that you had reached out to her like years ago about some you know getting advice on being in the industry i know she's uh very proud of uh of your growth in this industry as well. Yeah, Megan is probably my favorite person I've ever met through getting into this industry. She's been the most supportive, helpful person in the entire world. Her and Joe Benavidez both, people that I text with constantly for asking for advice, asking for, you know, just anything that could help me out, never asking for, like, scoops or anything. We don't have that relationship. But it's just they're, they're sort of like – I don't know, keeping me on the right path, I would say. I, I call them my, like, MMA parents. So this is a job that you have right now that you, you know, you probably wouldn't trade for anything. I mean, this is <laughs> – is there anything you don't like about what you're doing right now? Honestly, no. It sounds, like, stupid and cliche and maybe, like, bootlicker-esque to say, but this is my favorite thing in the world. I come into work every single day with all of my friends. I mean, we have 
boxing pay-per-views, backwood boxing pay-per-views that I, I commentate for. I'm in a parody pop punk band at Barstool that puts on legit shows that we somehow sell out with our like 90s covers. And it, it's just, I feel like I'm living out my dream. Like even getting to talk to a bunch of people in MMA, getting to talk to a bunch of people in professional wrestling, getting to talk to people who were my heroes growing up. This is without a doubt my favorite thing in the world. I have no plans to go anywhere. I'm here for the long haul with Barstool. Yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I got, I'm getting to do this pretty late in my career, I guess, in, in media. I started when I was around your age, um, actually with Sirius XM Radio, with a station on Sirius XM Radio. They had kind of a similar ethos to, Bar- to Barstool. We were um, a sports gambling, um, mostly <laughs> driven platform before sports gambling was getting legalized everywhere. So we had a lot of you know, shows that were sports gambling, a lot of shows that were like, you know, kind of more intelligent sports talk without kind of the cliches we swore and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of an interesting um, path into the the industry because you kind of had a blank canvas every day with your show. You could do what you wanted with it. I was producing late night radio, um, and, you know, and it was awesome. I loved it. And I think that that's, those are the years in your life where you really want to get your foot in the door and, and start, you know, getting momentum in your career. And I think you're way ahead of the, of the eight ball. I appreciate you saying that because I've told you in the past, I'm a huge fan of yours. I think you're one of the best interviewers in the game. And the the blank slate, what you were talking about, is basically what's best about Barstool. I came in today, and there's nothing on my agenda as far as, like, I need to get this done. Every now and then there will be, of course. But most days, 90% of the time, you're coming in here, and you're deciding what you do once you get here. And everything that you decide upon will be supported. Like, we have the best support. Dave and Erica, uh, Dave, obviously, El Presidente, and Erica Nardini is our CEO, are the most like open-minded. If you have an idea, go for it. If it doesn't work, oh well, try again. Like you, they'll never disparage you for trying something and it not working. So that's like what I honestly appreciate the most about, I guess, the management slash boss system at Barstool. It's very, very full of freedom. Barstool does get criticized a lot by I don't know if it's a lot of traditional media or whatever it is. Why do you think that is? I think it's a mixture of a few things. One. Barstool has always pushed the line, pushed, you know, the the boundaries of where you can and cannot go in comedy. Two, I think this is a very interesting time to be who we are, where we're trying to push that line. And a lot of people are trying to pull the line back as far as uh, I hate using the term political correctness because it's not a matter of politics. It's a matter of just, I guess, the, the time, the culture. There's a lot of people that it's going to sound maybe like a, a crappy thing for me to say, but are jealous of Barstool. There were a lot of companies that are looking at what we're doing and trying to emulate it and failing. So they're coming at us from that way. And also Dave is unapologetic. You know, when, when people will dig up these quotes that maybe seem bad out of context from a decade or two ago, Dave won't apologize for him. He'll say, that's what I said at the time. Maybe I regret it. Maybe I don't, but I'm not going to sit here and, and give out sort of these phony apologies for everything and i think that really rubs people the wrong way where dave is really just being authentic yeah political correctness is interesting because i feel like barstool kind of sits on the the line of of sports and satire like i think that there's a, a degree of of nuance that people don't really understand because they they try to view barstool through the lens of a traditional outlet but it just isn't one that's the part about no, it that, that and, I, and nobody here is trying to perpetrate a rumor that it is one you'll right. never hear me or anyone else here call ourselves journalists that's just not what we are first and foremost we're trying to make people laugh that is our end goal 
Like if I could write a MMA blog about a main event and get one laugh out of you, that's what I want. I did get a kick out of uh, was it Brian Gumble was with who was it for Real Sports sold out O'Brien or was it that yeah covered? yeah he goes uh, was this the most difficult story you've ever covered <laughs> which was one of the most insane quotes I've ever heard in my entire life because she had just come off covering the entire Me Too scandal the entire Harvey Weinstein thing and she comes to bars covered and wars she was very friendly we were all I mean yeah she literally covered wars she it was fine you know she came in she interviewed. Dave, she interviewed Erica, she interviewed uh, Rhea from Chicks in the Office, and she, you know, pretty much came to a conclusion that, yeah, we're not as bad as people say we are. And so, and yeah, Gumbel said, is this the most disgusting, disturbing story you've ever covered? And she was like, no, she's not at like, all. She's covered, like, dictators before. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like oligarchs. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, no, I, I went I think she's got bigger a, fish to fry than, than a New website. York with a bunch of, like, <laughs> stupid, like, you know, people trying to be funny, like... It really – people – I think at the end of the day, like, I don't want to say people take Barstool too seriously because I don't want to say that we don't want to be taken seriously. But they take our quotes seriously, and they, they – it's especially tough. We do so many podcasts and so many videos, and obviously we've got a serious XM channel. When the quotes are put into text, you, a lot of the time you lose a lot of the context of the comedy behind them. So that's another reason why people come at Barstool. All the time we'll see – hit pieces written about things that were such obvious jokes that we roll our eyes at. We're like, man, if, if in this era, I understand that it's, it's the gotcha era of like, ooh, you said that word that's behind the border that you're not allowed to say. But a lot of the time, it's usually just a stupid mistake by someone, and we'll own up to it and be like, yeah, it was dumb. We shouldn't have said it. And that's, that, that's sort of the end of it for us. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well, we're an MMA show, and we've barely been talking MMA, but that's why what I really wanted to talk to you about is kind of how you got into this whole thing. But let's talk MMA for a bit. What what excites you over the next little bit in terms of uh, whatever's on the horizon, I guess, for the rest of the year or whatever's scheduled so far? Is there anything that, that you're really jonesing for right now? It's cliche, but that three-title fight card in December we got coming up very soon, I'm looking forward to tremendously. I think Amanda Nunez is going to go put on a show. I think Usman versus uh, Covington is going to be awesome setting up for I want to see Masvidal get the winner of that so bad. I actually, weirdly, I hate Colby Covington for obvious reasons, but I want Colby Covington to win that fight so we could get that Masvidal fight. I think that would be just all of the stars aligning for everything that we would possibly want in MMA in 2020. And if Masvidal was able to pull off that knockout, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine how big a star he would be. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that card. Obviously, Holloway's on the card as well. Honorary Canadian for you. Um, I really, uh, I really just can't wait for that one. I keep hearing about this Nick Diaz and Masvidal thing, and it, for whatever reason, it kind of irks me. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty yeah. outspoken about the fact that that Nick Diaz interview was just alarming. I would say I'm not going to call it disturbing. I'm not Brian Gumble here, but it was alarming. I think in terms of hearing how he was speaking, even if you listen to old. Nick interviews. I know they are very stream of consciousness, but it sounded like something was off. And for him to come back after this long of an absence, having not won in eight years or whatever it is, and facing a guy that I think is the legitimate number one contender in the division right now, I think would be almost negligent. I, I don't know if you agree with that. No, I agree completely. I like Nate and Nick a lot, and I agree with you about that interview. Like, I saw a lot of people tweeting because. There were a few people that said, man, this is a concerning interview. Nick doesn't really sound all there. He, he sounds scatterbrained. He doesn't sound great. He doesn't sound like Nick. And some people said, no, he absolutely does. Go back and watch interviews. You don't know Nick Diaz if you're saying this. I'm with you. I don't think Nick sounded like Nick. It made me upset to watch. It was one of those things that was like, oh, man, 
it, it's and I, I hate to say it's like the quote unquote classic fighter thing, but he did sound a bit like punch drunk. And when you hear that, well, you can even take the drunk, the punch out of the equation. He sounded like he was yeah, drunk. yeah, you really yeah. And and who knows, he might have been. So I, I have I have no interest in seeing Nick Diaz return to the octagon. Obviously, I, I would love to see him in a good state of mind, but that's all I really care about. Like right now, like Nick Diaz in the octagon twenty twenty not super appealing to me I'm, I'm i'm a wrestling fan so it reminds me of watching like the undertaker or brock lesnar or goldberg at this point in time where it's like yeah we don't need that save that spot for someone that deserves it well the ufc will go to lengths to make money in some cases but i don't know i don't think this is going to be one of them I, I think that if they have any concerns about nick either a not showing up for the fight which is another thing you got to consider with with nick nate i'm not going to put that on nate has always shown up i mean that's one thing about yeah. nate diaz uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, Once he books the fight, Nate will show up. Yeah. I think Dana, especially with his relationship that he has with Nick and Nate, too, I think you're right. I and, don't think Dana's in any rush to be like, yeah, let's get Nick back in the octagon. Exactly. We need that. And Nick will show up. He'll show up to the fight. Yeah, they, they, they talked about maybe doing the, the Nick Jorge thing like last March, but especially now after all the Instagram stories, after all the videos of Nick that have come out recently, like it's just it's just not the right time. Well, that's exactly it. I was actually okay with it when it was announced last year because we didn't have that much context. We didn't know how good Masvidal was go- going to be. I mean, Masvidal, I believe, was probably coming off a loss. I think the loss to Thompson was his last fight uh, prior to, to taking that year off and coming back. So what we knew was that he had, you know, he was basically coming back after a year layoff. Nick wanted to come back. It was a fight that made sense at the time. I don't think that we knew really the depths of where, you know, the, of Nick's partying, which if you go on his Instagram, I mean, his, he has like 60 Instagram story posts a day. <laughs> where he's out yeah, on the constant. town for the most part. It's absolutely constant. And yeah, like you said, we didn't know that Mofidal was the killer that he is now. This resurgence in his career is, is frightening. It's crazy. I don't think anybody but Masvidal knew it. Even if you listen to interviews with his agent, with Abe Kawa, I don't think Abe Kawa knew that uh, that, <laughs> that Masvidal was going to do what he did. I think he's even then impressed. He, he friggin' did it. And oh my God, it's been fun to watch. That is... Him and him and Adesanya this year were oh my god just an absolute pleasure to watch. You had that amazing moment where you had, you had like a mix of both where you got to watch his fight against Askren with Adesanya. Maybe the best video of the year MMA was. Well, I'll, I'll take that even though I I came off as very <laughs> awkward in it. And many people even even this weekend I got a comment. It's like hey, do you even like MMA, buddy? It's like dude, I didn't know what happened. I was standing there and I'm, my interview subject's on the floor the next second. Like how would you have no, reacted? Yeah, pe- people don't know especially what the chaos of an MMA media room looks like at International Fight Week. Yeah, it's International Fight Week. Was it? Was it? It must have been International Fight Week, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was International Fight Week. The, that room had like six different media rights holders in it. I, I couldn't see the TV from where I was. I didn't even know those guys were in the cage. <laughs> like, I didn't know they'd been introduced and were in the cage. Well, I was just waiting this? to interview Izzy. I was on. I was on press row for that, and one of the little blockers of like the octagon padding was sort of blocking a little bit of the cage, as they tend to do. And when he knocks him out with the knee and he hit those two follow-up shots and then he started tapping on the mat, taunting him afterwards, I couldn't see him taunting him. And I thought he was just unloading ground and pound shots still. And I was like, somebody's got to stop <laughs> Somebody stop. He's already dead. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I've said that throughout the year. But, like, if you weren't there, I'm like, I don't know how to explain this to you. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen with my two eyes. Well, this is the problem with what I what I do. I mean, it's a gift and a curse. I mean, the gift is that I get interviews with people right after they're out of the octagon, but I'm always in the back. I'm I'm rarely sitting yeah. out 
um, cage side. So when I do get to sit cage side, I, you know, I, I kind of relish those moments, but it's not, it's not very often. Usually it's at the Canadian events for like a, a fight or two. Um, so my experience uh, for, for for that is what everybody basically saw, which was like as you know Adesanya freaking out and me kind of reacting to it. But uh, you know, being in the arena, I was I was in the arena for Jones versus Gustafson one. That to me was like wow. that was mind blowing because Jones hadn't been touched before then. Basically, I was actually I was also there for Jones versus Vitor, where v- Vitor almost tapped him out. So yeah, uh, yeah, I've been in two of in the crowd for like two of the rare moments of peril for John Jones. I mean, maybe you're like a good luck charm. I hate John Jones, so how about you be there for that Dominic Reyes fight? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be there. I, won't, I probably won't be sitting in, out in the arena, but I will be there. Why do you hate the arena for the main event? Why do you hate John Jones? Oh, come on. You know why I hate John Jones. John Jones, is a, he, he's, he's, a, he's not a good guy. That's what I'll say. I mean, he hits the pregnant woman with his car. He's not apologetic. He plays the victim every time he comes back. He cries. Oh, my God, I have no idea how I could have failed the drug test. Shut up, John Jones. I hate John Jones. Oh, fair enough. But you're also, but you're also a big <laughs> Connor guy. Connor gets into trouble here and there. I know Connor's put me in a tricky position the last few years because Connor's doing all the same stuff that John Jones is doing, and then I come off as a hypocrite. But it's like if your boy does something stupid, you kind of have to have your boy's back. And you could admit that he did something stupid, but you got to be there for him. That's kind of that's kind of how I'm looking at me and Connor. Obviously, there's a lot of Connor stuff that we don't know how it's going to turn out. And I'll wait and see on that and make, make my opinion up afterwards, you know? So, you know, with a hat tip to Dana White, John Jones was never your friend. John Jones was <laughs> never my friend. John Jones has had me blocked since I was like 13, since I first started applying to Barstool <laughs> on, on all his social media. I just hate that guy. I'm also a big DC fan. DC is one of my favorite fighters ever, so I'll have that rivalry forever. Well, DC is, I think, one of the, uh, the, the true gentlemen of the sport. I mean, you know, DC, when you're talking to him, you feel like you're the most important person in the room. He's one of those rare people that yeah. have that ability to do that. So I, I always like talking to DC for that reason. Absolutely. One of my favorite people I've ever met through MMA as well. Will you be there in December? I don't think so as of right now, but that could always change. Everything at Barstool is so on the fly that I could find out the day before the fight I'm flying out. So who knows? I hope I'm there. Honestly, I think those three title fights are going to be awesome. I was there the last time we did three title fights at 217, and that event very much lived up to the hype. So I hope it's the same thing here. I wouldn't be shocked to see three title fights in February either. It looks like Jones versus Reyes is going to happen there. Shevchenko versus uh, Chukagian, uh, another one of yep, uh, te- my Team Robbie, uh, Team Robbie Fox. And um, apparently Yoel versus uh, Israel might be on that same card too. So I guess we'll have to see. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they bumped that to March, but you, you just never know. Wow, I didn't know that Yoel Israel had a chance of being on that February card. That would be awesome. I mean, if they did three title fight cards in, like, the span of, you know, whatever that two, three months would be, that would be insane. Yeah, like as an MMA fan, fights, I'm always down events. for more title fights. Yeah. Just give, give, me, give me as many fights as you could possibly give me. I didn't have any UFC this weekend. I was, I was getting antsy. <laughs> yeah, same with me. It's, it's weird. I, although I did watch boxing. I watched Glory. I watched some Bellator, even though the, you know the yeah, results I, were out. I, I, I went on to the boxing. I, I watched some Bellator as well. You gotta you gotta fill in the gaps where you can. Michael Page, I would love to see in the UFC one day. I don't think it's gonna happen, but God, he he might be the most fun fighter to ever watch. Like I I don't care I if they keep lining up cans against them. Just like just keep doing that. That's that's fine Dude, with me. That's what I said in my blog. I, I talk about Michael Venom Page all the time. He's one of my favorites to watch as well. I've interviewed him. Another person who is such a gentleman. When you interview him, so cool. Um, and I always talk about him. I always call his fights must-watch. He's always going to do something, and the number one critique that I'll get, that he'll get, is they just keep lining up tomato cans for him. 
good. Keep doing it. <laughs> he keeps knocking them out in spectacular fashion, and it is amazing television. I'm with you. I agree with you 100%. All right, Robbie, nice talking to you. Hopefully we'll catch up uh, at an event soon. Yeah, dude, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. That was Robbie Fox, and we've got a big card coming up in Washington in two weeks' time. Uh, let's recap our picks from the UFC mm-hmm. Sao Paulo uh, card. Uh, I had uh, Paul Craig, so that was a push because it was a tie. It was a draw. And uh, I had Francisco Trinaldo, so Trinaldo won. Didn't win me much. Won me like $7.65 or something. It's better than lines. losing seven, yeah. ten bucks. And you had uh, Hennon Brow who lost, but you also had uh, Hamosh and Cortez and at plus 102. So you gained yeah. 20 cents. Boom. So I'm down... Like eighty something dollars. I'm gonna have to string together something. You're big. at eighty bucks. I'm no, I'm eighty bucks below you. Okay. Um, you are at one hundred ninety three dollars and sixty cents, and I'm at one hundred twelve dollars and forty cents. Okay, so, so I'm, you're still up on your hundred. Nice. Yeah, I'm still up, but I, you know, I'm competitive yeah, just yeah, like you it. are. I want to make things happen. That's we got it. three more events of the year, so let's uh, let's let's make make stuff uh, go. So you got to either make the jump, and I got to play safe. Yeah, maybe. Um, do you want to go ahead? You want to make yours? Uh, sure. Um, I'm gonna do my safe bet first. It's okay. not a safe one, but I mean, I just like Rob Font. I think Rob Font got the tools, the skills. I like his feet. You're going to do Ricky Simone like that coming out I of the am. interview? I know. <laughs> I'm going to do it like that. Rob Font. I haven't met Simone yet. What am I going to do? Yeah. Okay, uh, so you got Rob Font became, uh, we came, became friends and friendly. So, yeah, I want Rob Font to do well. Um, and the second pick I'm going to go with, um, I really didn't like Ben Rothwell, the way he fought. He didn't look good against Andre Arlovsky. Um I know Stefan Struve has his up and downs, but I'm going to go Stefan Struve. All right. To beat Roswell. Rob Font and Stefan Struve. Yep. All right. I'm going to go with Cynthia Calvillo. I think that she should, I don't think she should be the underdog in this spot. I know Marina Rodriguez is really good, but uh, Calvillo, whenever she's in the underdog spot, always seems to come through. So I'm going to take Cynthia Calvillo at plus 110. I think that she's kind of a dark horse in this division. Um, and she's come back just over uh, even money. Yeah, she's come back now, and she's uh, she's plus one ten. I like I like her in this spot. And then um, I'm going to do a parlay because I need to chip away at you. I'm going to parlay Matt Sales at plus one hundred with Aspen Ladd at minus one forty, which ends up at uh, plus two forty three. Okay, so Not Sales. Bad. Let's put this write this all down. We got to keep a record of this. So Sales and Ladd my uh, plus two forty three, and Calvillo plus one ten. I also don't mind this Rosenstruck. I I just he's got some crazy power. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. uh, he can uh, get a nice knockout. So I'd go Rosenstruck by knockout if if it's paying well. I can tell you if it is. No, oh, never mind. There's I, no props yet. Yeah, fight doesn't go to decision. This is minus five fifteen. That's probably a safe bet at a five round heavyweight fight. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, there we go. Those are our picks. What and, about uh, that? Give me a fight to watch out for, eh? On this particular card? Yeah. One I would go with Bryce, I, Bryce Mitchell, Matt Sales, I think, is a great fight. Matt okay. Sales, I think, is a really underrated fighter. And I think Bryce Mitchell is like a really good finisher, has a lot of ways to win this fight. I picked Sales because I, I just think that Sales probably should be a favorite in the spot, but not, not a small underdog. Uh, so it's just line value is the reason I picked it. But I think Bryce Mitchell is a really, really talented guy. I remember watching the undefeated season of uh, The Ultimate Fighter, and Bryce Mitchell was on it. And uh, I saw him actually at the, uh, the hotel I was staying at. Right before the finale of the season, it was the card where uh, Israel fought uh, Brad Tavares. Okay. And I went up to him and I said, hey, I just want to introduce myself. Um, 
I just I watched the show and I think you were the best fighter on it, even though even though you didn't make the finals. I think that you've got a really bright future. I just wanted nice. to go out of my way to yeah, tell him yeah, that. For sure. And uh, you know, he's very, very appreciative of that. Now, of course, I'm picking him to lose against Matt Sales. There you go. In the spot, but I still think <laughs> the Bryce, I still think the Bryce Mitchells versus Matt Sales has like all the ingredients of being a great Perfect. fight. I'm gonna keep a close eye on and, that one. And Song Yadong versus uh, Cody Stamen is gonna be a fun one mm. too. But uh, I just thought that the the price on Yadong was a little bit too high. I'll be in China, so I'm hoping with the time difference I can somehow figure out to watch it. Same time. Yeah, same it'll day. start probably at like se- It'll be the morning of. The- See, you should be okay. Like the main card will probably start at like seven a.m. So on sat on the Saturday for me on sa- Sunday or Saturday on the I guess Saturday. Sunday morning Sunday morning because it's Saturday night would be Sunday morning. Okay. So I think main card will probably start at seven a.m. Yeah, Sunday morning if you're if you're, if you're gonna be awake enough. But uh, the the prelims will probably be like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or yeah. something like that. I got to see when my flight is. All yeah. depends when my flight is Sunday. There you go. Um, which airlines are you flying? Um, I got Air China and Air Canada. There you go. Air Canada to Beijing, and then I go Air China to Shenzhen. The Air Canada Air China parlay. That's Always it. Always a safe bet. Yep, can't go wrong with that. Star Alliance, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 not there right now. Did you get no. that? Because you do small did you, trips. Did you get that WestJet email? Uh, what's the WestJet offered, like, if you have status with another airline, they'll, like, match it for you for, like, four months to, like, give you uh, highest tier WestJet status. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't really use uh, WestJet. Okay. All my Fair flights enough. are all Air Canada. All right. Or, go. or they got to be in the Star Alliance. Yeah, so the Star Alliance is pretty, it's pretty cool. Because I'm so close to the 50K status, which I got last year, so I'm just so oh, razor close. Yeah. And that gets me priority but baggage. When you, but when you fly to China, you'll probably get it, right? That's I a lot of miles. So. I hope so. Yeah, I, I don't I'm know. Never, they, I'm they, never close. I always get one of the they tiers. I get jam the money you. tier. They jam you with miles and based on percentage of it. I was like, ugh, come on, guys. I travel twice a month, Europe, Asia. Give me 50K status. <laughs> That's the call they're going to get if I don't get it. Well, exactly uh, that. Did I? But before uh, before we uh, finish, let's uh, let's get to Ricky Simone. He's he's fighting on this card against Rob Rob Font, and uh, that should be a fun one. I know you just picked Rob yeah, Font, sorry. so uh, hopefully he's not sorry, listening Ricky. to this first part of the show. But uh, I, forgive me, and you're invited well, maybe, to come maybe, to maybe Bazooka become... Kickboxing. I'll invite him over to the gym personally. There you go. So well, we can become friends, and I'll now. never pick against you after that. He fought. In, he trained in Hawaii a little bit for this camp with uh, Tyson nice. Nam. Okay. Well, here he is, Ricky Simone on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by Ricky Simone, who will be facing Rob Font next weekend at UFC Fight Night in Washington, D.C. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, so, Ricky, how are you today? I'm doing good. Just drinking some coffee, getting ready to head out to practice. Thanks for having me on. How do you drink your coffee? Uh, I'm a little spoiled. I have like a Nespresso. So I just got a little Nespresso right here. That's about it. Okay, <laughs> shot of espresso. Well, we got to talk to you because I'm also Team Nespresso. So, how do you? What do you do? You, you, you take? Do you have the virtual line or the original one? The, the espresso. I got the virtual line. <laughs> okay, so you've got it easy. My, you just, you just buddy, put the thing yeah, in and my go. I got it from my. Oh, sorry. What was that? I was, you just put the capsule in and go because I've I use the espresso machine and I have all kinds of different t- uh, tricks and tips. Yeah, sometimes sometimes I'll just do the espresso and run, but I have like the frother too, so I do <laughs> I do a little bit of froth, froth like almond milk or something, and throw it in there. And, yeah, I'm a little spoiled. <laughs> but you know what though, you aren't because if you go to like Starbucks every day or you go out and get a coffee, it costs more. So like you you have to That's pay true. for the machine the machine the base machine, but then you you get a really nice cup of coffee, uh, coffee every morning. You don't need to worry about drive throughs or waiting in line, and you're good. Yeah, yeah, my best man got me got me uh, the espresso for my uh, for a wedding present, so I didn't have to buy it. So <laughs> I guess I'm 
I got pretty lucky. And that's how he earned the label of best man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I've heard a, a, a pretty nasty rumor about you. I heard the mullet's gone. Can you confirm? Oh, come on. Who's spreading these rumors? No, the mullet's blowing right now. Oh, well, that's good. It, I, I can't tell you who told me the rumor, but uh, that, I'm, I'm just happy to hear that it's false. Yeah, I, I cut off like four inches off of it just so I could let it flow for the fight. But, uh, but no, it, 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 it's, uh, it's still looking good, and uh, it'll, it'll be out there throwing itself around when I fight Rob Font December 7th. Well, that's a big relief because, uh, you know, that's, that's part of that's <laughs> your trademark at this point. I, know you're, I think you've told me before your wife would like you to cut it, but that's like – you know that that's part of your one of your defining features now. Yeah, I think I think she kind of gets it now a little bit. Before it was like you have to cut, you have to cut it, and then you know once uh, we got married and I didn't cut it for the wedding, she was like, "All right, well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's gonna be staying for a little bit." If you're not cutting it for the pictures, then you're probably it's probably there there to stay. <laughs> I mean, that's like that would be the one time where you would cut it off <laughs> if, if yeah. you had to. But, that's the closest I got to cutting it off, but nope. I just had, she did make me hide it. I had to like do some kind of like crazy like French braid that like up into like a little bun that like hit it a little that hit it well. But you know, as soon as the as soon as the important part of the pictures was over, I let it flow. Yeah, that was going to be my next question: was whether she had you like tuck it underneath something or mm-hmm. make sure it wasn't in the photo. So it's not in the fo- if you want, if you look at the photos, it will look like you do not have a mullet. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've gotten good at like you know hiding it. <laughs> just for her sake but you know what you know what i'm in practice and whenever i get chances out there well, well life's all about compromise <laughs> yep <laughs> so uh, a bit of a sore subject i guess is your last fight against uriah faber um were you surprised by what happened in that fight uh you know faber's not usually a guy that's known for his power but uh it was on display there yeah you know uh he has a, you know we knew he had a good overhand right from the open, but, you know, I just was confident that I was going to be able to, you know, make him miss with it. And, um, you know, it's funny and also actually pretty embarrassing. Cause I, I talk a lot during my fights just just because that's just something I've always done. I know it's because I grew up with all brothers and we beat each other up and talk. But, you know, I, I hit Uriah and then I had him backtracking a little bit and I seen him loading up on it. And I even told him during the fight in, like, you know, live time, I was like, oh, here comes Uriah. It was overhand right. And he smiles at me and, circles but then he hits me with it so <laughs> so you know it just you know it's part of the sport i got caught is a great punch um and uh yeah you know i'm uh i um you know i chalked it up as a learning lesson and um you know i know where i belong i belong at the top of the division and uh i'm gonna you know just keep proving it if i ask you what went wrong is that a fair question was there something that you could pinpoint in that fight that you you feel like you could have done uh, differently that would have perhaps maybe not, you know, not taken the full impact of the punch or thing along those lines? I mean, I think it was just overall just excited. That crowd was insane, um, you know, fighting a Hall of Famer in his hometown. I was excited. I was a little excited. I thought I was about to go out there and, you know, put put him out, you know, and, 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 and was, you know, and, and I thought that was going to be like a start to, you know, uh, a little bit more being a you know a household name for myself, and I just I just got a little too excited, too, a little overzealous, and uh, you know, and, and I got caught. So you know, just a learning experience that you know, not at all times, you know, I got to kind of, you know, just don't don't rush things. Now this fight against Rob Font isn't any easier. I mean, this is a hungry Rob Font who was supposed to fight in June. He hasn't fought in almost a year. He's been you know desperately trying to get a fight apparently, and you're one of the only people, from what I understand, that were were interested in taking it. So, uh, what do you know about Rob Font, and uh, and how do you think you can neutralize his attack best? 
Yeah, uh, actually, uh, called for this fight last February after I uh, beat Ronnie Yaya over there in Australia, and he agreed, and it just never kind of uh, came about. So um, I'm, I'm excited. I think you know Rob's obviously a great boxer. He has great jujitsu, but um, I, I, I just think I think I match up really well with him. He he doesn't do as good with people uh, when he has opponents like me who put pressure on him and make him back up. So that's what I'm going to do, and it's going to be an exciting fight. Uh, do you think your grappling is going to come into play for for the most part? I mean, I, I think definitely. I, I'm I'm more of a grappler than anything, and and I, I probably show it the least just because I like to fight people and entertain the fans. And uh, you know, I'm definitely going to do that. I'm not going to shy away from that because that's that's what I like to do. But you know, I, um, that's what I do best is I, I dictate where the fight goes uh, with my wrestling and and with my ground and pound. So I'm definitely going to show that off a little bit in this fight. You're still fairly young, 27 years old. Your first loss, obviously, in the UFC is to Faber. You had won uh, three straight fights since joining the UFC uh, in the middle of last year. Um, do you feel like that's going to be a good learning experience, losing to somebody like Faber and, uh, and then being able to look ahead for the remainder of your career at the, who's in the rankings and, and learning from that one experience? I mean, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, it don't really matter. Like, it didn't matter to me who I lost. You know, it just... It's a learning experience in itself, just just with just how with how it played out and, and, and everything like that. But um, you, you can always take take something from from a win or a loss, and it seems like you know just the losses hurt a little bit more. But um, you know, I, I'm still I'm still fully confident in my abilities and and, and what what I bring to the table. Well, you're a very laid-back guy, and um, when I think laid-back, I think of Hawaii, and you were out in Hawaii for some of this camp. Tell me about uh, some of your training with, with Tyson Nam for this particular fight and uh, what the big difference is between training there and, and normally training in Portland. Yeah, you know, Tyson Nam's been my, one of my main training partners since I even turned pro. You know, they brought me in uh, when I was, I was an undefeated amateur to spar with him after he knocked out uh, Eduardo Dantes. So we've been, we've been close friends and, and training partners for a long time, and he moved back home to Hawaii. So um, ever since then, I've been making the trips out every other month or so to see the training with him and all the boys in that Hawaii elite MMA. Uh, they got a bunch of killers and and really just out there just getting a different look. You know, uh, uh, at my gym, I got I got great training partners as well, but we're a little more grappling based, and uh, so it's good to go out there and get guys more my size and who are quick and who have you know excellent striking. You know, I'm out there sparring with Martin Day and and Tyson Am every day, and even other guys like Ryan De La Cruz, Eve De La Cuesta, so. I'm just getting a really good look out there with guys with great hands, great boxing, and guys who can mimic people like Rob Font. And when you're out there, I imagine there's a lot less rain. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Like it's cold right now. It is cold right now, so it wasn't. It was nice to to get away, and it was. I was like doing interviews at like 8:30 in the morning outside with my shirt off. You know, it was 85 degrees, 90 degrees. So it, it's nice to go out there and just have to worry. We just all we do is beat each other up in the morning. We beach right after, and then at night we beat each other up again. So it's just, uh, it's just an awesome lifestyle out there. Well, this is going to be a fun one. Yourself, Rob Font, it's happening at UFC Fight Night in Washington, D.C. next weekend. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for this, Ricky. Yeah, heck yeah. Thanks for having me on. That was Ricky Simone. So, Joe, any, uh, any big plans for, for Black Friday? Anything you're going to buy? No, I'm trying to – I keep asking people. I'm not really good with online looking and shopping and deals. So I keep telling my friends, if you guys fly, buy anything, send it over my way so I can see what's what's fun. So just go to redflagdeals.com. Yeah? Yeah, and they go in the forums, and they have like all the Black Friday deals. If okay, you're in Canada done. and you're listening, uh, they don't sponsor this program in any way, but I, I would recommend using redflagdeals.com.
uh, for Black Friday deals because they you'll find all of them in one place. Yeah, I just don't even know what I want. Well, It'll be find, like, well, we'll just look random, like, I want this, and just start picking things. Yeah. What kind of headphones do you have for your flights? You, you, um, you I have, use the Bose QuietComfort okay, so 35. Have, North, oh, I'm, when it comes to, it's funny, but I'm Mr. Like, travel Essentials. Like, I love um, travel gadgets that make travel easier because I travel so much. Like, little simple things. Like, my luggage is so organized with packing cubes. and Because to me, it's like, if travel can become easier, more efficient, and faster, I'm all for it. I'm the same way. I, uh, do you I, use packing I have, cubes? No, I should though. Yeah, honestly, it's it's what's one the, of the best. What's the deal with them? So walk walk me through what the what they do. Well, for in you. in your luggage, like I mean, if you have all your stuff randomly and your luggage all gets mixed up, it gets wrinkled. So you can get these cubes that come in different sizes. So like, I'll put my socks and underwear rolled up in one. So if I need socks or underwear, I just grab the one packing cube and it's right there. Um, then I put one for my shirts, one for my pants, so they stay organized, they stay nicely folded, they don't get mixed well, up. Sure they don't shuffle and then around. what I do is when I get to the hotel, because I'm usually there for a week, I'll take my packing cubes out and I'll just put them in the drawers. And then I can quickly access any of my stuff. And then when I want to put it back, I just kind of throw the cubes back in. Packing's easier because I know what cubes I have. And I know this one's for socks, this one's for T-shirts, this one's for pants. So I never forget anything. Everything is just easy, organized, in and out, goes into the bag. See, what, I'm, what I always hate is that my shirts get creased when I fly. Does yeah. this help that in any way or no? Well, it doesn't get mixed up. You know, like your your jeans aren't going to kind of crush over and fall yeah, over Yeah, I guess when your you're shirts. moving the luggage around, yeah. Yeah, and it move. stays flat. It's nice. It's, it's, it's perfectly flat. It's, it's really nice. And then I also bring, um, if you're really, uh, some tricks you can do. If things are wrinkled, hot shower and just hang your clothes, and then eventually the wrinkles will come out. I just um, iron them. Or, yeah, if, if you have the time. Or they have, like, that downy f- uh, wrinkle releaser spray. Oh, that So I kind of hang it. I kind of put some few sprays, and it kind of helps with a little bit oh, of the wrinkles. Interesting. So it's nice and easy. Some guys I know really jam their suits in, in, in their carry-on, and then they literally put the hot shower on, shut the door, then the steam uh, will actually de-wrinkle the suits and the T-shirts. Ah. And you just hang them all trick. up there. Just on, hang on it up, like, crank like the to heat. Rack or whatever. Yeah, crank to heat, and then uh, that's it. Oh, that's a smart idea. Yeah. I mean, if you're a good iron. Where were these tips a while ago? I, I don't know. I don't like asked. ironing, though. I just throw on the TV and I, I, I zone out a little okay. bit and iron. I, I just never podcast. trust the irons. Why? Because sometimes, like, they heat up too much or they burn or there's, like, stains everywhere on them. I've like, never had know. an experience like that. Never? No. Okay. Trust the iron. Trust the iron? If you're staying at a good hotel, you'll be good. Okay. No, All I right. don't iron, though. I know i got to get you out of here before I do. Uh, Bazooka Kickboxing, 680 Progress Road in Toronto, yep. if you'd like to come for uh, kickboxing lessons and yep. uh, meet Joe and, uh, and, and Team Bazooka. That's it. And then also uh, your YouTube uh, page. Yeah, what my you last got? one was just uh, defense for MMA. So all the MMA listeners can just know the difference between kickboxing and MMA defense, which is a big difference because of the size of the glove. So learn the difference. So I'm going to try to do a little bit more of the MMA tutorials, like striking for MMA. So... People have loved it. I've had positive comments on this last MMA one. And I'm still waiting, so I'm going to be down a week for my episodes. But the next one, I'm trying to do something unique and special because it'll be my 100th episode. Oh, there you go. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Just combine them all into one long video. That's it. You can watch it eight hours, (laughs) probably more. You probably get more than eight hours. I like your how to beat. You need to bring that how to beat blank series back. I know. I know. I liked it too.
Yeah, I just I I like feel it. bad and just putting it out there. I but guess I mean, so. I guess I, that, that's that's valid though. That's valid. Yeah. But I mean, I, I think it's important though to more do it more like an education piece, being like, why would I do this based on that? Like my Wonder Boy video, why would I attack him that way? Is because of his stance, his positioning, like the thought process behind it. I think will really educate fans. All right, Joe. Well, enjoy your uh, trip to China. Enjoy yep. your trip to Niagara. Hopefully, I'll see you down there. Shishé, Aaron. And, uh, looking forward to it. Shenzhen? Shishé. What does uh, that mean? I think thank you. Oh, Shishé. Okay. Well, uh, and I, don't, ni hao. I, I know how to swear in Chinese. That's about the extent oh. of my... Uh, well, you got to teach me those. I don't know those all right, yet. Well, we'll do that off air. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe. See you next, uh, I guess, in see two in weeks. in a couple weeks. Yeah. Actually, before we go, it looks like there's some breaking news from Brett Okamoto of ESPN. Conor McGregor's return is official. McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone booked for January the 18th, 2020, at T-Mobile Arena. So the fight is official, and according to Brett Okamoto, it appears that Cowboy Cerrone has also signed an extension with the UFC, probably as part of a a, a broader, uh, sorry, a larger deal, rather, that includes this fight with McGregor. So it looks like rather than fighting uh, the fourth-ranked Justin Gaethje, McGregor will indeed fight Cowboy Cerrone. And that will be the, I would imagine, the main event of uh, UFC 246 at T-Mobile Arena. Now, it'll be interesting to see what else is added to this card. We have some fights that are already on this card, but uh, in particular, this is going to be the second main event in three pay-per-views that is not a title fight, unless you count the BMF Championship, of course. But uh, this is going to be an exciting time for... The UFC, this is a year where they have not had Conor McGregor compete in the UFC, and his return has been uh, very much anticipated. He will now face, again, the guy that is ranked uh, two spots below him. I think that part is surprising, and uh, you got to feel bad for Justin Gaethje because he had just beaten Cowboy Cerrone. So you look at the lightweight rankings, you got Khabib number one, Poirier number two, McGregor, number three, Gaethje, number four, and Cerrone, number five. So McGregor's not fighting the second-ranked or fourth-ranked fighter. He's actually fighting the fifth-ranked fighter. And again, with Gaethje beating Cerrone, it seems like uh, Gaethje's not really getting a fair shake here. That being said, from a promotional standpoint, this is a very, very smart fight to make because if Gaethje beats McGregor, I don't think people are as shocked as they would be if Cerrone beats McGregor. And I don't think it would say as much about where McGregor's at in his career. I think that if you see McGregor lose to Cerrone, a lot of people will say, well, it's not that Cerrone's, you know, not, not as good as McGregor. He might be better, and we might see that. We will see that on uh, January the 18th. But I think that one thing that is going to be interesting about this particular situation is that should Cerrone win, I think people will realize that McGregor's not going to be the same fighter again. It might take some time for him to get to where he needs to get to in order for, uh, for it to work out that way. So... That's going to be really what we have to look out for here is whether McGregor is going to be able to do what he needs to do to stay in the mix at lightweight and get that could be rematch that uh, he so covets. He says this is his season. The 2020 year is his season. He wants to face Cerrone. Then he wants to face, uh, he said the winner of Masvidal and Diaz, but he hasn't said much about it since then. But Masvidal presumably would be who he wants to face next if, if he does, in fact, want to face the winner of that fight. Likely at 170 pounds, I'd imagine. And then he wants to face Khabib at the end of the year. Uh, A fight that Khabib has said that he wants to see McGregor win 10 fights before he gets. You know, that being said, if the promotion wants it to happen, maybe it happens. Uh, I would have liked to see McGregor versus Gaethje. I think that would have been a more fun fight to watch. But 
I think this is a very strong litmus test to see where McGregor's at. I think it's a more winnable fight for McGregor with Cerrone. And I think that if you see McGregor beat Cerrone, that it's a good setup fight for him on the UFC's part. Now, there's no such thing as a setup fight. You need to win the fight. And Cerrone's not a pushover. Cerrone's the fifth-ranked guy in the division. So it would make a lot of sense that if McGregor does beat Cerrone, that uh, he moves up the ranks and potentially could challenge the winner of Khabib versus Ferguson. Uh, there's a lot to see here. One uh, fight that might also be added to that card, it wouldn't surprise me, is Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. That's one that's been talked about a little bit. And if they can add that to the card, that's a really, really good platform for Israel to shine. I think that if Israel can do that, we're going to see uh, a whole new ball game uh, for him. If he can get on that card, uh, that's what I think would be uh, the thing that makes the most sense because now you can look ahead to a point in time where Israel gets the kind of shine on a McGregor card that uh, he so much deserves, and uh, I think he will rise to the occasion. That being said, if Yoel Romero could very easily win that fight as well. These aren't setup fights. There's no such thing as setup fights, um, at least not in the UFC. You, you don't see a lot of really lopsided fights at the highest level of the divisions. So, uh, you know, unless it's maybe a, a bant- women's bantamweight division where you see Pennington versus Nunes, not really a setup fight. There's just not a whole lot of options in that regard. So, uh, this is going to be a very interesting time for the UFC, a very interesting turn of events here. Uh, on Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, they, they put this out. Brett Okamoto probably just trying to enjoy a nice Thanksgiving dinner, although it is, uh, you know, just after noon on the uh, West Coast when this, uh, this came down. But So nice, nice of them to let them know early in the day. But uh, I think that this is going to be a very interesting fight. It will happen at T-Mobile Arena. There was some speculation that it could happen at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. It looks like this will be at T-Mobile. So... UFC 246, official. At least according to uh, Brett Okamoto, this is officially going to be announced soon. We're going to have Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone. What a fight. And uh, a great return fight for, for McGregor to, to show where he's at in his career. Also worth noting, the most surprising part of this story, in my opinion, is that this is going to be contested at 170 pounds. Which uh, is shocking to me. Because if you are trying to build Conor up to a Khabib rematch, what value is there in a 170-pound fight? Perhaps he's looking to win a championship in a third division. I mentioned Masvidal earlier. If you are going to face Masvidal next, and you're Conor McGregor, perhaps that's he, he's looking at a, a division where he's going to have a more realistic shot at the title. So if that happens, and he is able to win a fight at welterweight, and then perhaps beat Masvidal or face Masvidal, that's going to put him right into the line of, uh, right in line for a title shot at welterweight. Maybe he's got a change of plans here. I guess we'll know more a little bit uh, as this develops, as this gets closer. We'll find out what's on Conor McGregor's mind and why this fight is being contested at uh, 170 pounds. I would imagine that Conor's calling the shots in terms of the weight class. I'm sure Cowboy would have fought him at 155. Cowboy has fought at 170 before, uh, as has McGregor, of course. So that's uh, something to wait and see. I'm, uh, I'm intrigued now. I've, I'm wondering what Mystic Mac has on his mind, what his plan is for the, uh, the future of his career, what McGregor's season 2020 has in store. Maybe he's uh, taking a new path. Time will tell.
And uh, that pay-per-view is in like a month and a half. It's shocking. But uh, until then, we will be back next week to uh, analyze any new developments in this particular story. Happy Thanksgiving to those in America listening. And uh, to those in Canada, happy belated Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.